Hey everyone, this amazing ESO Network show is brought to you by our fine sponsor, Amazon.com. Please remember to shop Amazon for all your geeky needs, no matter what time of the year it is. All you need to do is go to ESOPodcast.com slash ESO Amazon, or click on the Amazon banner on the ESO Network webpage to go to our e-store. It's the best way to shop and the best way to support this program, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. Okay, that's enough of me babbling for now. Now on with your regular scheduled show. Hi, this is Mark. Congratulations. You have found this amazingly awesome show. Chances are you're listening to it right now on whether it's iTunes or Stitcher Radio or some other mobile app that allows you to stream this amazingly awesome show to your ear holes. And I can't stress how awesomely amazing this show really is. But did you know that you can also catch the latest episode of this show on the Tangibound Network? That's right. Go check out tangiboundnetwork.com. You can look them up and you can listen to it right there. It's even mobile friendly. What more could you ask for? Which means you can pull it up on your iPhone or your Android, even your Windows phone. Yeah, who has one of those? But still, point remains. You can do it. You can do it. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time. Check it out. I'm Chris Farrell from the official GunnaGeek.com podcast, a proud member of the GunnaGeek network, just like the show you're listening to now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1. On today's episode, Josh Peterson and I are speculating on the future of the Alien franchise. As Covenant comes to theaters this weekend... We have thoughts on the film itself and where the series should go from here. We also talk some Ubisoft and whether the same old, same old philosophy will keep this publisher's AAA status. And will Star Trek Discovery do for TV sci-fi fans what the 2009 Trek reboot did for moviegoers? All this plus another great song from Plasma Z. Cuts from the latest Wine Women and Words. What about this? Super BS and Topicocalypse podcast, and a tribute to the late Chris Cornell as we share our thoughts on some music history. It's another asteroid field of dangerous podcast topics as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We are here every Friday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. And if you cannot get a chance to listen to our show as it airs live on the Podcast Radio Network, well, that's no problem at all because you can download it anytime at your convenience on a number of of different podcasting and downloading channels. Let's get that list to you out right now. Starts off with Google Play, 
iTunes, Stitcher, Podcast.com, TuneIn, Mixcloud, Overcast.fm, the ESO Network, the Tangentbound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. And it wouldn't be a PCC multiverse without a wonderful co-host. Well, or I could be the co-host, and he could be the host. Doesn't matter to me. It's a team effort here at Pop Culture Cosmos. But it's the man, myth, the legend, the mad scientist, mixing all those great concoctions. It's Josh Peterson of Humanic Media. How are you, my friend? Good, good, man. Question. Can you listen to Pop Culture Cosmos on cassette tape? Not as of now, but you can burn it to a cassette tape, and I don't think that would be a problem. Okay, but what about vinyl? Because that's what all the hipsters are doing right now. I feel if we really want to reach that market, we need to put things on vinyl. Yeah, and it's pop culture. Um, I guess we could go to it. It's an expense, so we're looking for sponsors here at Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanity Media just so we can put stuff in on vinyl. I'm telling you, man, vinyl, coffee shops, the hipsters will be like, hey, we liked this before. It was cool. And be like, yeah, you did. You gave us some money. So here, take this. We like money here at Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanic Media. And speaking of Humanic Media, what's going on with everything? Well, Humanic Media. Um, yeah, it's business as usual. We have a new Super BS coming at you this week, episode 12. I just filmed today. Um, Topicocalypse of episode one, part one, is now available on podcast.com and YouTube soon and Facebook, I'm assuming, by tomorrow. Uh, also, what about this latest episode? You can now download, and there's a lot more fun stuff coming at you. But I know there's some stuff attached to this show, and uh, you can download as bonus episodes and whatnot. Well, indeed, Correct. Well, indeed, there's going to be clips on today's show from everything going on currently in the Humanican Media universe right now. So that includes Topic Ocalypse. Did I get that one right? Yeah, you did. Hey, oh, that was, sweet. That, that was your first try. I mean, you said it. I, I don't know if that counts, though, because you said it like 20 times wrong before the show started. But uh, you got it right this time. So I, I guess I'll, I'll give you a free pass on that. Sweet. I'll take it. The current Super BS Gamescast that's on the air, and also as well the latest What About This with another great topic. What was, the, again, will everybody know out there, Josh, what the topic on What About This podcast was about for this week? Athletes and standards. Like, why do we have double standards when it comes to athletes? Like, why is it that uh, it centers around Ray Rice who abused his wife or he punched her in the elevator in fast why, food restaurant Why are they held to a higher regard? Is that correct? Yes, that's that's correct. You know, we go on and talk about different players and different sports, and uh, truly, uh, is it right that we do that, have that kind of thing? Can you have morals in today's culture, pretty much, is what we're getting at. But it's a good episode. We'll be playing clips of those shows later in the broadcast at various points of time, so look forward to that indeed. And check out all of Humanica Media stuff on their Facebook Twitter and YouTube channels and also all all of their audio channels as well. Podbean, podcast.com, Google Play, iTunes, etc, etc, etc. So, it's another great weekend. I love this part of the time of the the, the year because it's, you know, you get one big 
wannabe blockbuster after another, after another, after another. First off this month, you had Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, which is still doing very well with audiences. And then you had, I'm sorry to say this, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, which didn't do so well with audiences. But this week could be a new contender for the throne as Alien Covenant actually uh, hits theaters this weekend. So we're looking out for it. Actually, Josh has already seen the film, is going to share his thoughts in a moment. But what we wanted to really delve into is film's good, the film's not so good. But the film's importance in keeping the Alien franchise alive because it's a franchise that's been going on for so many years now, it may not resonate with newer audiences like it has with the audiences from the old and from the past that are more familiar with the, well, what's considered the the better versions of the Alien franchise that were made earlier in time. Maybe people that are around as far, maybe... those that are that are frequent moviegoers these days may not have as much um, feel for the Alien franchise at this time. So I ask you, Josh, after seeing Alien Covenant, do you feel like the AI? Do you feel like there's a lot of left in the tank as far as the Alien franchise is concerned, or do you think it's time for the Xenomorphs and the the face huggers to to go bye bye into another galaxy far, far away? That's an interesting question because I, I don't want to spoil anything. I really don't because I want you guys to all go see this movie. But um, from my point of view, Prometheus, I'm probably one of the very low uh, percentages of people that actually enjoy Prometheus. It was I felt that it took the concept of alien and kind of expanded it, it gave it like the uh, gave it like beef to it, like it you know they asked those philosophical questions, morality, God. Uh, it it kind of turn the story in a different direction. At first I was like, this could be exciting, but you know, we go back to alien covenant and it's while they do answer a couple questions from Prometheus, it felt like it was a step backwards. So, so uh, I guess to answer your question, I think that the franchise does have some interesting places it can go still, but they need to not show us all these things that we have seen over and over and over again. I mean, like four or five times that we've seen aliens get blown out airlocks and, you know, ship battles and chest bursters and all that stuff's all really cool. You know, we need, we need more. Like we, if they want audiences to keep going to see these movies, they need to, you know, give them a reason to don't just let us watch the same movie over and over again. Well, and what comes with that is just, if you're, it just seems like it's just another horror movie as far as just try to jump scare as far as try to get get people to be beyond edge and and suspense but if we all know what's coming by now you know roughly 30 some odd years into the franchise then really what's there left to tell i think a lot of people were hoping as far as with the alien prometheus and alien covenant films to learn more of the backstories of how it evolved and uh, as far as the aliens were concerned uh, and the the whole concept of focusing more on their end of the deal as opposed to more more again more humans looking for relocation or looking for this on this planet it just seems like the, the it seems like it's a never-ending cycle of of when it comes to the humans in this movie about 
the same type of villains, the same type of good guys and, and good gals as far as the way they, they interacted with each other and also tried to prevent from getting killed by the aliens. But it's it just seems like the storylines seem to just recycle over and over again as far as, well, they're looking for a home or they're looking for people who are trying to build a, an outpost or had an outpost. And it seems to be that there's just really not much deviance as far as the overall story arc over the past some odd years. I was hoping that, that it would tell a deeper enriching story about the alien, different alien cultures itself and, and maybe going more into that as opposed to just the, the characters itself. I, I know Alien Covenant tried to do that a little bit, but when it, it deviated f- uh, from it really just very quickly and focused back, right back on the humans once again, and there are issues, whether it was because they were already possessed by an alien or because they were fighting off people who were, you know, possessed by the alien, it just seemed to delve off always into the humans and dominate so much as far as the people, which in this series Sigourney Weaver, notwithstanding, are not the most important and not the most interesting part of the series. So here's, yeah, no, I agree. And like in this movie, they did kind of like recreate Sigourney Weaver through, uh, you know, a new character in the movie. But see, it, is, it kind of, um, I guess it irks but that's me what you, That's what I'm saying. You're just recycling yeah. old ideas. You're the story over and over but i because with prometheus i liked where they were going i wanted to see the engineers plan i wanted to like no teach me about these people like what what are they but it started to do it but and then in alien covenant i don't want to spoil it but they it just they that that's it they give you like 20 maybe less than a minute of engineers and showing like what happened to them and then it just goes right back to the alien story. Like from what I understand, the script got changed a bunch of times. Original one is originally uh, Prometheus two or whatever is called Paradise Lost in the beginning. Um, but you know, we wanted to know like why did the engineers want to kill us? It turns out you have to go online and listen to some Ridley Scott interviews to find out where that story was going and why they wanted to kill us. Because apparently they uh you know you know they created man and they wanted to start over so they sent an emissary down and that emissary happened to be Jesus Christ and then they crucified him so that's why they wanted to go to earth and destroy him but you know hundreds of years of travel through space and whatnot but i i don't know like i this the franchise it needs to go somewhere while i love these movies if if they're just going to keep doing the same thing over and over and once you see the ending of uh covenant you'll see like kind of what i'm talking about with this but it, i just you know, I there's there's a lot there's there's still some good places it can go, but they just need to not like stop fan servicing is the thing. Like they need to just go tell tell a story, tell a good story that's compelling, and don't just because fans cry about not seeing enough xenomorphs, so then you have to keep showing us xenomorphs. You know, it's the same thing, just over and over. Do you think if they're going to keep on doing this, there's not going to be an alien franchise much longer? Because it, all it takes is just one big bomb just like last week to have any uh, inclination that you're going to be able to cut the series right there. And then because the King Arthur series, unfortunately after last week's dismal performance, anything going on for that series for Guy Ritchie and Charlie Hunnam is pretty much dead in the water. Same thing for me on, on the alien franchise. This, if alien covenant does not perform this well over the next four weeks, it definitely could be a 
sign of things to come. Maybe they'll go back to it. And I, and I think they would go back to it at some point in time, trying to resurrect the Alien series. But do you think at least if it doesn't perform well, that the Alien franchise could be damaged for a long time to come? Oh, well, they're projecting opening weekend numbers to be somewhere around like 80, 80 million or something like that's their target. So, I, you know, they'll obviously it'll make that it'll make those numbers because there's still like a cult following for the series. But I will tell you that when the movie ended, this was what I heard throughout the entire theater. That ending pissed me off. Like it was just it was unanimous. Like there's everybody was saying that. So. You know, you, you just got to get to a point where really Scott's 79 years old. So if he's got like some master plan going for this franchise, like he needs to get it out there because once, you know, once he is gone and Fox gives the director's seat to somebody else, it's not, you know, that that's when the franchise will officially be dead. But they've given it away before. It's, you know, other directors have helmed previous. And look what happened with the exception of James Cameron. Look what happened. All David takes is the fin- right project and the right director. David Fincher and uh, I forget who directed Resurrection, but yeah, they were they were not. They, that was from what I understand about those movies. They were completely studio controlled, and they were. I'm not going to say they were awful, but they were pretty bad. Well, but then you have Alien Covenant and also Prometheus, which Prometheus in its case did not light the the world on fire as far as from both a. It garnered $400 million worldwide, which I guess warranted this sequel here. And But from a critical standpoint, left a lot of people with maybe not the best feeling in the world about the franchise, but they were hoping so much more for Alien Covenant. What are your thoughts out there on the Alien franchise and Alien Covenant? Please let us know your thoughts this weekend. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, Humanican Media. Pop Culture Cosmos, and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, it's going to be a great episode we have here today. Got a lot of great stuff going on. I told you about those clips all coming up from Humanity Media and also a clip from the latest Wine, Women, and Words podcast. Check that out indeed later on in the broadcast. We're going to talk Star Trek Discovery. We're going to talk Ubisoft. And then also as well, we're going to, at the end, pay some respects to to someone we lost recently in the music world because uh, we lost someone great in the rock music world and we'll share our thoughts with that as well later in the show it's going to be another great episode of the pcc multiverse and who better to kick things off than another great song this is junkyard nomads from plasma z and this is the pcc multiverse yeah yeah
check out all of Plasma Z's lineup of songs today on SoundCloud. Hi, this is Josh from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hey everyone, if you're in the Southern California area and are looking for the best way to improve your home, look no further than adding some always green synthetic grass today. Whether it's creating that awesome backyard that's kid and pet friendly, or that putting green to work on your golf game, Always Green provides installation and landscaping with only American-made products, such as their famous synthetic turf with advanced drainage technology and backed by a 15-year warranty that will have your yard looking great for a very long time. Always Green also installs retaining walls, custom lighting and driveways, and the most beautiful stone walkways. So if you live in the Southern California area, what are you waiting for? Financing is also available, so call for a free estimate today. 714-614-7814. That's 714-614-7814. Or stop by their store at 16772 Wanda Circle in Huntington Beach and get your home looking great with always green synthetic turf and putting greens. A proud sponsor of Pop Culture Cosmos, Humanican Media, and the PCC Multiverse Channels. The guys from the Super BS Gamescast share their thoughts on the crafting experience. The problem with crafting in those games is that you there's never cool weapons that you find. You like, could say the same about Skyrim, though, to be honest, because the that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's what I said. Skyrim and all that kind of stuff. Like, but I still feel like you could say like there's even when you craft it, you're not like crafting something super cool. You are well, grabbing like dragon bone stuff, which is cool. Yeah, no, it's but cool you can't and craft like unique legendary. But that's what stuff. I'm saying. But there's it sucks because there's never anything cool. Like there's never like an ancient sword to find, which yeah. I guess is fine. I mean, that's all Zelda is. So yeah, um, you know, there's plenty of games that have that kind of stuff. But yeah, like, you'll randomly find swords through quest lines in an Elder Scrolls game. Rarely are they... Not even... It's not even can you just craft better swords than them, but they're rarely even remotely good. Yeah. Um, but that's a that's a systems for the game that's a problem. Like, crafting... The main thing I'm curious about is, like, what do you guys not like? Because I noticed when we are talking about Inquisition, you guys both didn't like the crafting system in there. And I want to know, like, why don't you guys like crafting... And what's the different system? Because a good example would be like an upgrade uh, upgrade system in some games where it's like you need X, Y, Z of these items is pretty much the same as crafting. Like, sure. in, So I'm just wondering. I don't mind it that much. I've been playing Prey. It's awesome in Prey. Um, okay. So what I was going to get to with Fallout. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Is that I think crafting is great in Fallout because that's kind of like kind of part which, of the which spirit. Which Fallout though? Any. Yeah, because 4 is kind of different, but I was just curious. Yeah, 4 seems a little more complicated than I yeah. want it to be. Yeah, but it's got some cool stuff. The weapon mods is definitely a cool thing. Um, but yeah, I there's mods, I think, in New Vegas. Um, really? You can like go to a table, make a mod, throw it on a gun? I think so. I'm trying to remember. I should know this because I've played that game a ton, but I think that just the notion of crafting is boring. 
I, so it's like, so I don't mind an upgrade tree. Yeah. Because that's like what RPGs are a lot of Well, ways. yeah. But, but I, I mean like an upgrade tree that requires you to have X amount of items. See, I don't, it's not the items. It's literally the sifting through tons of options. Like in Skyrim. Yeah. Like how early can you make an iron sword? But it's like, why would you ever want to make an iron sword? So yeah. it's just like, it just adds to like a giant list of like get to useless stuff. Too, like, yeah, where you just go and you can pick them up. Anywhere, pretty well, right? That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it's like the problem I have with crafting and things is it does it just feels like here's a giant list of stuff to sift through because it's not like you know it's like I don't want like a mini game attached to it. That's why I didn't like that's the one thing I didn't like about Fantasy Life. Really, I loved playing those games, man. I loved Fantasy Life. I yeah. hated crafting because it was. I like, still thought it was kind of fun to hit A at the right time or whatever, and do. <laughs> it, it is fun yeah. until you realize that you have to do it for like ten hours. Yeah, no, I I get you. It, it yeah. is definitely a grind. So it's like I don't think that there's anything you can do to make crafting fun. I would rather just find like find unique weapons and have them be good enough to do. If you had a weapon that you could upgrade yeah. via like an upgrade tree, that it, which requires you to collect items or whatever, like same with armor, that's cool. But if you're like, if I'm just collecting raw materials to like sort through a list of schematics or blueprints to like, it's just like, I just don't want to spend the time doing it. I'm, I'm kind of on the same page. I don't like having to... If you want a, a, a certain set of armor, I don't like not being able to just buy it. Like, I would rather go out and fight a bunch of enemies to get money to buy the armor than mm. spend... Because, you know, we've talked about this before. Games are too long. Like, yeah. I I want to get through this game as fast as possible. If it's... You know, I'll enjoy some of the side quests if I like it enough. Yeah. But I don't want to, like, spend hours and hours going out across the map looking for these materials. Especially if they're ones that somebody only drops like once or twice. So that is somewhere that I, I would agree with you definitely. Crafting is not fun when it's like a rare drop that you need to make X item. That's the Super BS Gamescast available today on all Humanican Media outlets. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Diana Tierney and Michelle Lavis talk a trip around the world on the latest episode of The Wine Woman Works. Because my next part of my journey, I stopped in Russia for the Tsarina's, um, the secret order of the Tsar and the Tsarina's legacy. Oh, I don't know why I didn't think of that. <laughs> well, I'm glad you thought of the undesirables because I kind of had that done too. Whichever one you decide, you did put down, I was going to go visit. <laughs> so I'm visiting with her in Russia. And those are such fun books. And so much of the Russian culture and Russian history is in that. And then I go to an African safari in Kenya for the for Circling the Sun, which is Beryl. I can't remember her last name. I'm always bad about pronouncing it. But it's during the um, English uh, colonial period, technically, I guess you can say, about 1920, 1930s. Uh, she was around when um, the writer out of Africa wrote her book. So this is her story about um, her life. And so I stopped there. And then our Tunisia book, A Make Her Stop in Tunisia, meet up with Michelle and Julie at um, for Dido's Crown and uh, spent some time sightseeing in uh, Tunisia. And how about you? You're next to 
So my next is, so we are going to Atlanta with Love the One You're With by Emily Giffen. This one bounces between Atlanta and New York, so technically it could be both. But it's a story about a young woman. She's like late 20s, early 30s, youngish. <laughs> not not teenagers, not early 20s, but she's married, has been for a while. And she's a professional photographer. And one day, completely by chance, she runs into her ex-boyfriend, who was like the other love of her life before she met her husband. Um, they bump into each other on the cross on a crosswalk, just crossing the street. And he calls her right after he sees her and they have coffee together. And it kind of like triggers the the whole did I make the right decision or, you know, what, what would my life have been like if I had stayed with him kind of thing. Um, And it's so good. And I just love the way Emily Giffen writes characters. She writes them in a way that you can totally relate to the main character and understand what she's going through. One thing I love about her books and I read all of them um, is she has little cameos from other stories. So every single book is somehow connected to the other ones. So if you have read who, who shows up in this one? I, oh, I forget. Um, but someone from past books pops up. So like, it'll be, if you saw the movie, something borrowed, that's Rachel and Darcy and, Ethan and Dax and Rachel show up in another book. Just a quick cameo, like it's the main character's brother and sister-in-law, and they have dinner together. But I love that she does that. She kind of, like, gives readers, like, a little update with whatever her other characters are doing, and you can see what happened um, just really quickly. Mm. Um, So that's my Atlanta book. Uh, New York is The Good Girls Revolt um, by Lynn Povich. Obviously, that's about the um, lawsuit against Newsweek for gender discrimination. We did that in March. I guess that doesn't really count because it's nonfiction. But we can go by and say hi to those people. Like, we actually could go and say hello to them. Yeah, it's set in New York. It totally counts. That's the One Woman of Words podcast, available now on YouTubePodcast.com and tune in. Thanks for checking out the PCC, you know, the pop culture cosmos. We'll be back in one moment. Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films in 2017. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Box Art arrives this year, just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And we're back with the PCT Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. So I want to ask you, Josh, does Ubisoft as a publisher 
hold the same weight it once did, say, six, seven years ago when they were at the top of their game, they're still continuing to go ahead down the same path with another Far Cry, another Assassin's Creed. This time it's called Origins. What was a surprising thing, I guess, if anything, is the crew, which was moderately panned uh, as far as critically and I guess did okay sales-wise, the crew is getting a sequel as well. So I ask you, Josh, does Ubisoft as a publisher hold the same weight it once did and really giving EA and Activision a run for their money? No, I don't think so because there, there's a okay, – with, with Ubisoft, you know, there's uh, – you might notice there's a severe lack of new IPs coming out of them. It's all sequels and, uh, you know, DLC, which is fine, but – you know, back when Assassin's Creed was new, like that was a new concept. Like people, people were stoked on that, but they've just been kind of milking that for so long. And I'm, I'm, I will play the new Assassin's Creed, but I'm not stoked on it. I'm not like, you know, gonna go line up to play it. It's, it's, um, it to me, it's, it's, you know, the same problem with the Alien franchise. They have this rich story, and they're not going anywhere with it because they know that the moment they start moving their story forward it's going to take them one step closer to the end of the story in which they will no longer be able to make games. So I'm, you know, it's, I I want to see something new out of Ubisoft. I don't want to see them keep visiting Assassin's Creed, uh, the crew, Far Cry or whatever. It's just, they're, they're a great developer and they have the potential to do, to make great properties, but they're just, they're, it's a whole thing. Like all publishers now, they, all they care about is money and what's going to sell. And it's, um, you know, nobody's taking any chances on anything. Well, like we talked about in a recent episode about EA, you know, ditching the Mass Effect franchise from the, you know, the moment that the Mass Effect franchise looked like was... Did you see, there. too, that that was Mass Effect Andromeda is actually, like, the third or fourth top-selling game this month? It's, it's still selling a lot. They're, they're still selling, but they're not selling at the rate that they obviously wanted it to in order. If, if it was still selling at a number one status, if it was selling... Uh, I don't think it will go. I don't think it will sell seven to ten million copies like they were planning on. I know they had talked and projected it out that they would be selling seven to ten million copies, and I just don't think it will go anywhere near that. Even though it is, like you said, it's it's still not a very strong month right now for sales as a whole. Uh, Super Mario Kart, for instance, is usually is right around the top seller at. at what uh oh, two two and a half million since it's been released so if that's your top seller to go by and mass effect to drama is somewhere a little bit below that it's not selling quite as well as they're projecting out because it's supposed to be on so many different platforms now with ps4 xbox one and pc it has much more opportunity to to sell if it was really that good of a game but getting back to ubisoft it's just disappointing that there's nothing different that they're showing us and Assassin's Creed, the only thing that was different was that Assassin's Creed is being maybe now moved to a spring game in that it was going to be out before March of 2018, which I thought was very interesting, which tells me that they're looking more towards it being a spring game as opposed to their traditional October-November release form. So what does that tell you? Is that, is that like a chink in the armor for the Assassin's Creed franchise as well? Yeah, I think I think so. I mean, and the fact that they skipped a year and they're making an Origins game instead of like a main story game, I think that that speaks leagues on, you know, their confidence in the franchise. Um, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. 
you know, and we're getting to the point where there are so many indie developers and they're reach and indie developers are reaching the point where their technology is almost on par with some of these, you know, first and second party developers that pretty soon they're going to take over the industry because they're going to be able to make the games that gamers actually want to play because these indie devs, they're not run by corporations and people that want money. They're run by gamers and gamers know what gamers want. So it's, it's one of those things where, you, you know, if, if these big publishers want to survive, they have to actually start listening to fans and what they want instead of, you know, what they think is going to make money. Like Nintendo is run by businessmen. They don't even, none of them play video games. From what I understand, all the interviews I read, those guys all hate video games. Like they're bored. They just want, you know, they want to make what has, what what's making money. And I think that was the big problem with the Wii and the Wii U that eventually led to their downfall. So, you know, it's just, things got to change. It's just the way the market and the landscape is and the, the demand. And pretty soon we're, those big developers might not be around anymore. So it's going to be all indies. Definitely a great point indeed. What are everyone's thoughts out there on Ubisoft's latest announcements, which pretty much is the same old, same old? Let us know, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com or popculturecosmos and humanica media and game source on Facebook and Twitter as well. Hey, this is Chad from Ghost Toasters, and you're listening to Pop Culture Cosmos Podcast. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. The latest What About This podcast has the guys talking about the way society treats our athletes differently. Funny that you bring up Ricky Williams because John. See, I know my football because Iron Grid stuff. <laughs> because uh, because just two weeks, uh, the NFL draft was like two or three weeks ago, uh, where he got where Mixon got picked up, and they're like, you know, everybody just you know, we're just we want to help him rehabilitate and things like that. Josh Gordon. Uh, got uh, suspended from the league a, a handful of times, a couple of times for for nonviolent. Uh, it was it was marijuana was why he got was why he right. got kicked out. Um, he he just got denied reinstatement into the league <laughs> this week because really? they said because they said that they are like they're setting a standard and they're putting their foot down. So now you even within <laughs> their st- you go okay so so <laughs> break a woman's face. Mm-hmm. Look, drop man, around. Everybody makes mistakes. Yeah, second round, man. So and so, get high a yep. few times. A few times and in posted, a society he that is. Video on it, right? Yeah, but then what happened? He voluntarily took <coughs> himself off the team. Okay. Because he was struggling and checked himself into rehab. It was not team issued. He said, "This is something mm. I need to do." So it took himself. So he self-identified. Took wow. himself off the team, oh, and so get him out, and went to mm. rehab. Went through rehab and said, like, hey, I just needed to do this. I just needed to get my life right. Applies for reinstatement. Gets denied. So literally they're saying on one hand, 
we're going to help rehabilitate this guy. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, a guy literally checks into rehabilitation. Which is like, real no. rehab. Yeah, real rehab. And they're like, no, Get him out. you're done. Well, because I guess there's like... <laughs> because they so you say that isn't it, it, even within their value system, yeah. it doesn't make... Like there's a number of chances you get. Well, not only is there a number and of chances you get, but there's a certain infraction that you just... There's a certain threshold that they just don't care about, right? So it's like... I, I mean, mm, again, yeah, maybe yeah. if Joe Mixon like does this three or four more times, he's done. Mm. I mean, hopefully. Yeah. Um, but... But clearly, for it seems to me that the NFL isn't as interested in violent. Like, if someone's violent, that's fine. But if someone's a drug addict, they're like, you're, you're out. So you hear all the time people mm-hmm. not liking the commissioner, Roger Goodell. And I think one of the biggest things that I've come to realize is one of the biggest reasons why people don't like him, I think, is because he is so inconsistent. Yeah. He's so inconsistent in his punishment mm-hmm. that this gets you banned for life, uh, this gets you uninvited to the combine, and this, like, deflating balls gets you suspended four games. And then, right. hey, and then like, a little bit of this might not... Nothing happens. Right. And so... It's, I think that's why it's because like all of a sudden the punishments come out and all the fans of that team and the player everybody goes right. what? <laughs> like, well, right. yeah, they, and not to mention you go the 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 average person watching does not care what their athlete right. does right. because they care more about as as Seinfeld says you're really just cheering for laundry. <laughs> yeah. and, and and he goes, you, you. It's it's kind of insane if you really think about it. It's right. it, I, I gotta admit, as a as a, I'm a sports junkie, and I'm not like a team guy. Okay, like I don't, I'm not like, oh, that's my team. I just never been that more of like a player guy. And I and I I, I love it. I watch it. I DVR it. It's something I, I look forward mm-hmm. to. Um, and we sit there and we it's 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 insane a little bit that we care, right? That yeah. we care yeah. that you yeah. that you. If your team loses a big game, it's almost as if you lost a member of your family, and it's kind of embarrassing. Like, like your demeanor, your disposition, you, you, there's a problem there. There's an absolute problem yeah. that you look like there was a funeral. In my family, when SC lost years ago, who did they lose to? Was like Texas. 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 Yeah. I was walking around, and I was like, do you guys want me to start in on the eulogy or what? Like, <laughs> this is this is embarrassing right. that you guys care this much about the school. You didn't even go to. <laughs> yeah. you, don't even, yeah. you don't know anybody there. It's literally like you've adopted this mindset that it's important, and it's not, yet it is because sports are great. That's the What About This podcast, available right now on all Humanica Media outlets. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. Truly appreciate you being out there listening to us. Again, if you do not get a chance to listen to our shows on the podcast radio network, that's okay. We're on many, 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 many different outlets, including Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podcast.com, Mixcloud, Overcast.fm, the ESO Network, the Tangibound Network, and the Gunna Geek Network as well. And before I go ahead and, and start talking some Star Trek, can you name all the Humanican Media outlets that you guys are on for, for Humanican Media? Uh, um, Overcast FM, Google Play, Podbean, Podcast.com, iTunes, Facebook, YouTube, 
Did I say overcast? I'm pretty sure I said that already. Yes, yeah. you did. Um, you can't cheat now. Mixed cloud, I want to say. And I don't know where else. Probably, probably lots of other places if you just Google stuff. Yes, the ever-present Google. Just Google it. No problem. <laughs> just Google it. You know? Just, 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 just Google. the old Google machine. You'll find it. No problem. We'll, we'll pop up eventually. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We are talking now about Star Trek Discovery, and I know you got a chance to check out the latest Star Trek Discovery trailer that's coming out for the Star Trek Discovery series coming out later this fall from CBS and CBS All Access, which... I believe this first episode will still be on CBS from from what I remember. And then also as well, all the shows will be on CBS all access. So I ask you, I kind of like it, the series where it's going. I definitely like the characters that are, that are already involved, already have some affinity for, for some of them already. I want to ask you, do you think the Star Trek discovery series can, I don't, I'm not saying it will, or it won't, can it do the same thing for Star Trek on television that the Star Trek in 2009, J.J. Abrams' great film, did in rebooting the series for the the big screen and whatnot? Can Star Trek Discovery do the same thing for television? Don't hate me for saying this, but no, I don't think so. I, I don't see this show lasting very long. It looks cool. It has the potential to be cool. But it's on TV, and everything that's on TV is in danger. And most, a lot of people don't watch TV anymore. So even if it is popular, like wildly popular when it first hits, it's going to be hard to tell who's actually watching because most people are going to be watching it through, you know, their on-demand services, Hulu, uh, you know, Netflix when it hits Netflix. But I, we're just like there are other sci-fi shows like people like Doctor Who and the stuff on BBC and, and sci-fi. I think the era of space travel shows is over. I think we kind of we explored that for a long time, and it'll appeal to audiences who are fans of the original show. But I think they're going to have a really hard time bringing in new viewers because personally, like I, I have a hard time, you know, forcing myself to watch the movies, and I do like the movies after I see them, but. I don't. It's not something that I run out to the theaters to go watch. So with uh, with the show, I'm going to wait until you tell me about it before I decide whether or not I'm going to sit down and watch a couple episodes. Well, I will tell you this: that the Star Trek in 2009 reboot reignited my love for the franchise because after so many years of not so good Star Trek movies and not really so good Star Trek series and even worse. Star Trek, the next generation movies, uh, I had been burnt out uh, of the series as a whole. And I think the movies, uh, you liked the, the latest one more than I did. Uh, I definitely liked Into Darkness more than a lot of other people did. But I still think the series itself on the big screen, it has still got plenty of life left in it. And I'm hoping they'll they'll do the next one, which has been rumored to, to reinstate the Chris Helmsworth character of uh, Kirk's dad and whatnot, but I'm, I'm hopeful that this will do well enough to to reignite the series uh, as far as as a whole on television and maybe get a new audience from that. I'm surprised it's still going to stay on all access. I was hoping it would be reinstated onto the 
you know, the cooler heads will prevail and put it on CBS, the actual network. I know one episode will be, but I'm hoping for more uh, at some point in time. But I, if they've got a commitment from Paramount, and Paramount's got a commitment from CBS to at least air uh, a good chunk of it as far as a full season's concerned and give it a shot. I, I hope so. Definitely hope so, indeed. Uh, it looks pretty good. Uh, I, I I have no complaints about it so far. I think it's it's you know you got some some deep backstory there. It takes place ten years before the events of of the reboot series, so I'm definitely looking forward to indeed because it's still within that same realms that that fans newer and older can be familiar with. So I, I like that indeed. So they exist on the same timeline. Is that pretty much ten years before the events of Kirk, Spock, and McCoy teaming up together? Pretty much the 2009 reboot. So. It's 10 years before then. So basically they're all adults still uh, in that time frame, but they're just not Kirk hadn't yet joined Starfleet. Uh, I'm not sure if Spock had, uh, um, he may have, or was just going to. And McCoy uh, was still married at that time. Most likely it's still, you know, his marriage was, he was divorced uh, coming out of 2009. So We'll see where if they do include any one of those characters anywhere in the series. It would be kind of interesting if they did at, at that point in time. So I'd like to see some space travel programs, really, really good ones that are back on the air indeed. And let's hope that these are as well. So what are your thoughts on Star Trek Discovery reigniting the Star Trek series and franchise back on television? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, Pop Culture Cosmos and Humanica Media and Game Source on Facebook and Twitter as well. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Hey everyone, venture into the Pop Culture Cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the Cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the Pop Culture Cosmos. Welcome to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Every Monday night. 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network. The brand new show, Topic Ocalypse, is on the air with thoughts on the way our society treats animal cruelty. I think PETA's mostly um, trying, they try to scare people. They want, like, they go against um, wool here in America where they're saying that, you know, our farmers are hurting their sheep, but... If anybody wants the sheep to do fine, it's probably the person whose well-being relies on getting money for what they're doing. Yeah. Well, you also look at today's sheep. I mean, most of them aren't they're, – they're engineered to grow wool at that rate. They're bioengineered that way. That's why the way we've set them up. Um, so if we don't, you know, obviously harvest the wool off of them, then it overgrows and it they just wind up suffocating or they can't move and they can't feed themselves. So – but – Anyways, I don't think it's just about PETA, though. I think there's obviously other organizations that are out there that are doing this. Um, but I think it's just going to continue on, and I don't think it will ever change. Yeah, and there there's nothing wrong with raising attention to an issue. But, like, if you're just, like, a lot of people, especially when it comes to, like, social media, they'll post things just for reactions. Like well, especially, want, oh, yeah, it's it doesn't matter what it is. It could be about religion. It could be about animals it doesn't matter i think people and a big thing is i don't think people do research on it i think they say oh my gosh look at PETA 
or whoever named you know huge amount of followers. Oh, they they posted this on their Facebook. Well, I'm not going to research it myself. I'm just going to share it and throw it right on my Facebook. And there I go. I've done my duty for the day. I've raised awareness. We we are a society of spontaneous knowledge. Anytime something pops up on the internet or newsfeed or it's trending, people are going to be like, "Yes, I know everything about this," and they will just plaster your newsfeed with. All of a sudden, they've developed this belief. And something they don't know anything about. That's Topic Ocalypse, now available on Humanica Media on Facebook and YouTube. And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glass from Pop Culture Cosmos and Game Source. We truly appreciate you listening to us out there. And and we're gonna close out the show tonight on a little bit of a I guess a little bit more of a somber note. You know, we, we recently lost someone that, that was deeply involved in the music world, uh, someone whose voice was definitely original and resonated with a lot of fans indeed. And unfortunately, the untimely death of Chris Cornell from Soundgarden and also Audio Slave was truly unfortunate indeed that he looks like from all appearances take his own life within the past couple of days. So Definitely, definitely hurts indeed for all those that not only enjoyed the grunge era, but definitely you know, rock music in general. I personally am a, a very big fan of Spoonman. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite songs. Definitely a, a great song indeed. I listened to it several times earlier today before we came on to the show. And, and definitely Chris Cornell's mark on the industry and especially to an era which sometimes gets forgotten because I – and I want to talk with you this, Josh uh, – I think the 90s as a whole gets forgotten a lot in as far as the overall history, as far as remembering, uh, you know, fondness for it. Uh, I know a lot of people still love the 80s. They love the 70s. They love the 60s. Even the 50s seems to have a fondness, more fondness than the 90s, and especially the last decade as well. So your thoughts on Chris Cornell's passing and your thoughts on his Mark on rock music and the grunge music scene you know, over that great 1990s and, and early 2000s scene. It's funny that you say like 80s because I think the 90s is when music really like took off Like as far as um, bringing in young listeners. I think that the 90s created a type of music that has been that pretty much has become the foundation of a lot of music that's been made since then i would kind of disagree with you there i think the 80s it was the most i think the 80s had the decade with the most variance because it was the end of disco so you had that all the way to the to the birth of hip-hop and rap um and then obviously you had new wave rock hair metal bands yeah um, and you had all that coming in the 90s did have its influence and variance but i don't think you had the type of variances and what was promoted on public radio of a wide spectrum than you did in the eighties. If you lived in the eighties, like I did, I think you would understand listening to the radio where you would hear a Def Leppard play right after Madonna, which played right after Duran Duran, which played right after a Motley Crue, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you had these grunge bands had these epic guitar ballads and power chords and, they created a type of music that told a story. Whereas like all the but Led Zeppelin, you know, I'll give them that like music from the seventies. Like they, they, it, it seems like grunge took, they completely skipped over the eighties and grunge took stuff like stuff from the uh, seventies, the like Pearl Jam originally teal, uh, toured with Neil Young when they were rocking in the free world. 
And they kind of built upon that era completely forgetting about the 80s. So, I mean, it's just, it's a weird thing. I guess it depends on like what era you were kind of into music during, but... I'm a big fan of the music of the 90s. That's just where a lot of the music I like is actually from the 90s, even though I grew up in the 80s. Uh, I'm going to point out the music I still listen to today. If you look at the tracks I still listen to, a lot of that is from the 90s as opposed to the 80s. Right. Um, but it, because to me, it has a more modern feel than the 80s as a collective whole. There are still songs in the 80s which actually still translate well today, but. I think the 90s music, for the most part, has music that does still translate well into today's audiences. I think if you played a lot of music from the 90s, it would still generate that same kind of enthusiasm in listening audience today as opposed to a songs from the 80s, if that makes any sense. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like when you're when you're driving in the car, what are the odds that you would turn off a Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or uh, you know Candlebox song? as opposed to like something modern like Mumford and Sons or whatever, like you you probably let that song play rather than change the station, turn on your iPod or whatever. And it, maybe it, from an artistic value, the nineties were better indeed, but I'm just telling you, I'm just saying from a variant standpoint where from an, from an inclusiveness, as far as, you know, every type of format was pretty much inclusive except for country country really didn't hit on the pop scene until the nineties. So I, I would give you that. A- you know, a- breaky heart man well <laughs> you, you know what i'm talking about with yeah, the, yeah, there's, there's, there's so many there were so many artists in the country music where that started to break in huge with the pop scene in the 90s but the 80s pretty much had so many different influences as far as from the front end of the 80s to the back end of the the 80s where you start seeing everything in the middle where where so many different things were being played on general music stations that today don't get played if i'm that's probably because today in in top 40 stations you don't hear rock music for the most part you don't hear heavier music for the most part it's a lot of folk and pop music and hip-hop and whatnot that's that's fine if that's what the the majority of the audience wants that's not a problem because it rock music maybe doesn't resonate as well with millennials and and most general audiences as much as it did in the 90s and the 80s that's fine the 90s i think from an artistic value may be better suited as far as in critics hearts because I think it's so much had more meaning then than the eighties. But I think from an inclusion factor, I think the eighties were probably the most inclusive music decade in the history of, of rock music period from, from that standpoint. But I just think that maybe the best music was made during the 1990s. What are your thoughts out there on, on which music decade that you enjoy best? Let us know your thoughts, pop culture, cosmos and yahoo.com. Plus if you want to send us thoughts on, on Chris Cornell and, and his mark in the industry do that as well. Also, Game Source, Humanica Media, and Pop Culture Cosmos on Facebook and Twitter as well. And once again, we want to pay our respects with just a moment of silence for the late Chris Cornell. And we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today. We want to make sure everybody knows our deep love for the music scene as well here at Pop Culture, Cosmos, Humanica Media, and Game Source as well. And if you truly want to experience Chris Cornell, listen to T- Hunger Strike by Temple of a Dog. Listen to the entire CD. Just start from the first track and go all the way to the end track, and you will truly experience the greatness of Chris Cornell. 
So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESONetwork.com. Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family. And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. Hello, if you guys can see us there. We know you can't see us in color. I know everything's in black and white. We're just told by our lead uh, filmographer slash producer slash director that there's no color in this camera, so we apologize. Unless that's you're colorblind, we... in which case, you know, that's, that's your problem, I guess. So we'll, uh, here we are again, and sorry we're talking so quietly in case, or loudly, sorry, in case you can't hear us. Um, okay, but now we're back, and welcome to Super BS. My name is Brank. Jank. Dank. Dane Cook. That's who I am now. Um, anyways. <laughs> I completely forgot he existed. Dane Cook? Everybody loves Dane Cook, man. He's like the king of comedy. He's like the Seth Rogen of stand-up. He's like... Fuck shoes. Everybody knows that line. His car. All I remember is that one bit he did about... Uh, how he's talking about when you go to parties at other people's houses and the guy's like hanging on the refrigerator and he's like somebody crapped on the coats no you don't that's that's the worst one his only good bit was where he talked about um when you hear a car accident happening outside Mm -hmm. then everybody goes to run outside to look and he's like no where's my shoes where's my shoes Fuck shoes. And then he runs outside and they meet people and they're like, what were you doing? He's like, I was doing the dishes and I totally... And it's just like people talking about what they do. The only good Dan Cook bit is when he's in Louie. And Louie <laughs> like, talks to him about stealing his jokes. <laughs> Wait, when is this? In the TV show? Or? Yeah, okay. in the TV show. <laughs> That's they, awesome. They, they film an episode where like they talk, have a conversation about Dan Cook stealing a Louis C.K. bit. Which, <laughs> which one is that? I forget it. It's something about... I'm pretty sure that's something to do about an itchy butthole. But I don't totally remember. That sounds like what it would be about. Yeah. Anyways, we are here to talk about Dane Cook, games, anime, and fanboys. Um, Not specific order. Not specific order. So now we'll talk about games. Uh, Donna, what have you been playing? And I'm hoping you're not going to say what I think you're going to say. I've been trying Do to finish Dragon Age Inquisition. Say it! I thought you finished it last week. I did, but I've been playing through the oh DLC. Okay. So I, I played through... I'm on... I will be finishing it later today. The la- like everything. So, so I, the first two DLC is the DLC like uh, how how long is DLC? Is it like another lot, game in itself? A bit longer it? than it should be. Okay. Um, Tell just explain how many hours you've already put into the DLC. I don't know because I haven't been keeping track, but oh, probably twelve or so. I'm sure. Like the problem is, is that it's really hard to not be completionist in that game for me. So I tend to like take the long way around. Uh, Gimli quote. Um, <laughs> but, uh, the ring. Um, got to toss me. It's pretty, I, I mean, obviously, this is three years old, so 
but it's I'm enjoying it a lot. I wish I think now that I've played through the Jaws of Hackun, which is like the the maligned DLC that everyone seemed to not like for some reason. I actually think it was great. I think what they should have done is taken out two or three of the useless in-game areas yeah. and replaced it with the Frostback Basin because it's actually a really interesting area. Wait, real quick. To explain it to Jake over here uh, that in the game, like there were tons and tons of optional areas they that had nothing to do with the story. Did, did they offer you like items that would help you? Uh, yeah, know, but you never... You didn't need like, them. You didn't need them. Okay. There's never, for some reason with Dragon Age, there's never like, there's rarely like must-have loot. Yeah. Because you find tons, and it's almost too much. Because you're constantly finding purple weapons, which are like unique items. Yeah. That have unique stats and stuff. They're, and they're rare. You're constantly finding them, and you're always finding like ones that suck, which is really strange. <laughs> um, and it's hard to tell... I'm sure, like, someone that's super nerdy about the systems of Dragon Age could say, but it's hard to say, like, if whether it's more effective to have all, have all the, like, added abilities that unique items give you versus just raw, like, attack power that you can get from crafting weapons. Yeah. I hate spent, crafting in games. I spent a lot of time so, on the crafting tables in that game, yeah. which I did not enjoy doing. Yeah. I you had to load several scenes see, to I, get there. I read that you just should barely ever craft, so, like... Um, I crafted, like, everything. Yeah. Do, do, okay, so in games, though, do people actually like that? Because I personally don't like it. I don't like... Well, here's the thing. It's annoying about it. So, like, the best... There's a, there's a great sword in the game that's the best in vanilla Dragon Age called the Sullivan Blade... And it has an ability on it. You get a, you can get a schematic for it as well to craft your own and make it slightly stronger. But even with masterwork and like a few like a few materials kind of jam, like the best thing about the sword is that it casts this ability called Pull of the Abyss, which is like a magic ability that only one character in the game has, and that character sometimes isn't in your post-game. Oh. Uh, sometimes I mean all the times. Yeah. Um, so Spoiler! Spoiler. Yeah. Well, I don't know what it is. Well, but either way. Yeah. So it's a great, it's super valuable. And if you craft it, you can maybe buff out like some stat boosts and some other stuff, but you can't, it doesn't come with that ability. Oh. So it's like, it's you, like the same, like there's the next best sword I found is in Jaws of Hacken, and it has like a chance to cast Chain Lightning just on hit, which is okay. awesome. That's awesome. Um, and you can craft your own version of that sword, but it won't have that. So it's like the unique stats of unique items are just usually better yeah. than the actual attack power I've, I've found. Um, but yeah, the, the side areas, it's not that they're not, there isn't anything cool in any of them. It's that they could easily have been condensed. Like we were talking about the Forbidden Oasis, which is an area that that he didn't hate and I didn't I didn't hate but I thought could have been placed elsewhere because the whole point is like a secret dungeon that you collect artifacts all over the world to unlock uh, not really dungeons secret doors um, and they could have put that in any map you know so it's like they could have just like axed a few maps yeah. cut down 30 hours of the game easily but that's exactly what we were talking about so previous you, episodes they just yeah. want to make more well that's what we're talking about with, with Inquisition now but everyone's hating I mean yeah. Andromeda for yeah. that exact same thing where it's like oh it's so big it's like yeah and I kind of pointless stuff that doesn't matter but yeah. there's stuff to do yeah, yeah yeah you have these big open planets and you 
the the actual game only takes place on like thirty percent of this planet. So why do they give you the option to go? Yeah. I, I get yeah. what you're saying. And so I, so anyway, the Jaws of Hacken is a really unique area. It almost reminds me of Morrowind because it's like kind of like exotic swamp river, and then also mountains and snow. It's like really it's very strange. Um, and you you meet the last Inquisitor, which is cool. That's cool. Um, or you, I shouldn't say me because that's kind of a big spoiler. You investigate because it's 800 years before. So, um, spoiler, spoiler, spoiler uh, yeah. So you learn some out. cool things. Um, I think it could have just easily replaced like three of the in-game areas. Yeah. But Trespasser is the main DLC that is leading into the next Dragon Age game for sure. It locks you off. It takes place two years after Vanilla Dragon Age. So once um, you do it, you can't go back. Yeah, once you do it, you can't go back. Oh, that's but I'm actually really intrigued. It's very intriguing. Uh, they set up some very big plot points. I've played through all the Dragon Ages, so I'm pretty familiar with um, like the world and the politics of the world and stuff. So I think there's some really exciting things. I'm really hoping that they make a Dragon Age 4 that... I wouldn't mind if it's like a direct continuation and you play as the Inquisitor again. I think that would be super awesome. Um what would be great is that if it's like a 60-hour game instead of a 150-hour yeah. game. <laughs> that's so long. Yeah, that's that that's a frustrating part of any of these games. But did you get a chance to play anything else this week? Or um, no? I probably played Salt and Sanctuary for a little more. Just for a little bit time. That's a pretty cool game. What do you play, Jake? I've been playing Prey, which is... Yeah, that's pretty fun. My okay, my we'll talk more about that in a second. Oh, I played I started playing Doom. Okay, yeah. Oh yeah, nice. okay. cool. Like, talk about that for a second because we're gonna talk a lot about Prey soon. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about? It? I thought it was awesome. that's so fun. I like Just the like, uh, intro a lot. The intro's great. <laughs> all the dudes are worshiping you. Yeah. And... It's so fun. It's crazy playing a game that's that fast and smooth yeah. because when I when I so I played it for like an an hour and a half or so yeah. and then I went back to Dragon Age and it hurt my eyes because Dragon Age looked like such a yeah it's it's different. you know it's hard like the 30 FPS versus the 60 FPS it's hard to like think about that or, like I don't really care but when you play games that are 60 FPS like Doom it's just like oh man I don't ever want to play 30 FPS again See, that's like, not how I felt I felt almost like this like the FPS of Doom is like unnatural like really it's, like, it, it's, it's great for Doom it's so fun yeah. that it's so fast and quick but like when I like I played Inquisition today and it looked great to me, like it was fine. But when I played directly after playing Doom, it hurts my eyes. Yeah, it's like yeah. I'm from inside. I, I think your eyes just adjust, and then you're like, well, um, back when the original Hobbit came out, it was filmed in 60 frames per second. Peter Jackson. And oh it, yeah, uh, those look there's, weird. In there's film. story of people like coming out of the, like throwing up in the theater because it was like making them all dizzy watching it. Really? Okay. Yeah. yeah I get, There's I also stories that. of people coming out from the third movie throwing up because there shouldn't have been a third movie. It was <laughs> disgusting. That, yeah, that third movie is a, a giant battle sequence. That's all. They yeah, but it's have, a giant uh, battle sequence that Tolkien decided wasn't like not even important enough to include. Yeah. Was it? Was there actually like something it was based on, or was that? It was yeah. in the Hobbit. It's in the Hobbit. Remember, okay. he like he gets hit in the head and then he. Like misses the battle, the battle yeah. oh. and they wakes up, and that's... but it's so great. Like that's like Peter Jackson's legacy is almost ruined with that third the movie. I I don't know. I think the Hobbit as a whole isn't great, but I would like to see the the cut, the three hour cut. Extended cuts. This, so, no, no, they already made it like years ago. Someone made a three or four hour cut that's just the book. Like that, oh. they took all three movies, they threw out all the extra stuff, 
and they just made a book cut. And they have like five was, of these online. I was book. fine when it was two movies, but the fact that he like mm, I guess two would be the better. fact that he, uh, he after it was two movies after the second movie was supposed to come out, he's like hold the phone, it's going to be three. And they did reshoots and re-edits and all this kind of stuff. It's like, that's forever going to be one of the worst decisions ever made for like a big, huge Yeah, I mean, franchise. there's so many bad decisions made in Hollywood for stuff. That, that that was just part of, that was during that trend where like every movie was like Hunger Games. Oh, we got three books, let's make four movies. Harry Potter, we got seven books, let's make eight movies. Yeah. Uh, like everybody was but just like, just we want more money. My understanding yeah, is that money. he, wasn't under pressure to make it three movies. Yeah, I. He a, decided like his personal artistic decision was like, oh, there's a cash cow for sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, probably Peter Jackson had a similar thing that like George Lucas, where the first movies were like, hey, you couldn't do this on your own. You know, you have to go through cuts and editors and people who matter. And he made all of his, you know, and the studio has. I think the studio has more, unless a director has final cut privileges. Well, so studio gets to say that's kind of what happened to George Lucas for Star Wars episodes one through three. I mean, we could get onto this topic for a while, but anyways, just real quick, he he grew up. You know, Star Wars was so great; everybody trusted him. Like, hey, don't let him do whatever he wants. He's George Lucas, and that's why we got episode one, two, three. And that's probably similar to Peter Jackson. I heard it's actually, from my understanding, is that some of the problems are not his fault because he, he if you remember... On Star Wars in- or Peter Jackson? Peter Jackson. Okay. Because he inherited a lot of those problems because originally the production was going to be Guillermo del Toro. Oh, yeah. I and apparently cool. the script that Peter Jackson got was so terrible that he had to rewrite every night before shooting the next day. Oh, wow. So, because, I mean, I wouldn't say... The script of The Hobbit is bad. Like, there's no, there's no parts in The Hobbit where I'm like, Ugh, like right. that. It's just there's just stuff that doesn't need to happen because it's stupid. Yeah, there's there are some cringeworthy, like the romance stuff was so See, dumb. Like, well, it's dumb because it's not in the book, yeah, and it's dumb and because stupid and not necessary. Right, but what I'm saying is that I don't think like the. I don't think it was badly done. It was just dumb that it was done. Yeah. If that makes sense. So, what did we... How did we sidetrack to this? We were talking about Salt and Sanctuary or Doom. We were talking about 60 FPS. Thanks a lot for that. Oh, sorry. Uh, just okay. interesting tidbit. But um, anything else? That, how far are you? Just first level still of Doom or are you... Yeah, I, I played through the first mission. I, um, I bought a hard drive for my Xbox... So I can install a bunch of games that I owned. No, I need to get one. I keep having to uninstall everything just to play a new game. So you're still running off the 500 gig? Man, I have two two terabytes plugged into mine, and I'm tempted to get a four terabyte and then use my second. You two. You said it here. Yeah, two two. two. I wear two twos everywhere. Two two. All right. Um, Break Arena. What? Break Arena. So talk talk to us about what your games and and let's say Prey. Have you been playing anything else first? Okay. Just real quick, I question for you, Doom. Okay, I don't. I've I've never played Doom before. Okay, so what? That's is, not a question. What is the sto- <laughs> what's the story with Doom? Like, I know there's zombies nope, and what nope, or no, demons. Those are demons. <laughs> okay, so and I'm, zombie demons. Is, is it kind of like Dead Space? How they it's like no. more religious based, or is there they just it's, stumbled upon? So okay, don't ask me about Doom lore because I've I've played the original Dooms, but like talk to us in chat about it sparing, <laughs> uh, sparingly. Like okay. I think it's a cool aesthetic, though, because it's like, from my understanding is that, at least the way it's sort of explained in the new Doom, I don't know, like, again, I don't know anything about Doom lore, but I just know it looks cool. But basically, like, settled Mars, terraforming Mars, they find, like, weird energies and, like, things in Mars that, like, open dimensional 
okay. things where demons come through, and that's what that's what you're fighting. Yeah, it has something to do with that. I don't know if it gets religious at the end like Wolfenstein does, but because yeah. uh, Wolfenstein is, I feel like you know they're made similar times. I always feel like same type of thing, like oh, it's just normal killing uh, Nazis till it's occult at the end. So I don't know if it's, uh, <laughs> well, but there's a lot of Nazi ties to the occult. So I think yeah. there's like there's like a foundation there. So I don't know if uh, Doom. I don't think it's a religious thing. I think it's honestly you just kill demons over and over and over again because you're yeah. on Mars. But it's great because demons even like, the beginning of the yeah. game. Like the guy, the character you play, like he wakes space up Marine. in this facility, the Space Marine, and like, oh, like the guy, like the people at the facility that are like in charge that caused this like outbreak of demons, they're like trying to explain to you what they did and how, and he just like doesn't care and just like breaks all the telecoms <laughs> and commuters. So I think the lore aspect of Doom is pretty much like I think people are they're just having fun. Yeah. The new Doom is just like hey. You know, all these characters are made because of the Space Marine of Doom, and it's just like, here's this generic blank slate, kind of like silly characters just going to like, hey, we're trying to tell you about story. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what have you been playing okay. besides so, okay. the big game of the hour? Because um, I want to talk about that too. I, I, I keep playing Legend of Zelda, okay? I know I talked to you yeah, about Yeah, you this. should be playing that. Man. I, I mentioned game. this to you earlier. I so I went around and I found I've probably found a good like eighty percent of the shrines. Except well, how many shrines have you found? Because I can tell you. I, I don't know. I haven't done many of the hidden shrine quests though. So I'm like scratching. They have those. like a shrine counter. Do they? Well, or I, if I, not, I, you can I, just like, do it by hearts or okay, whatever. So you have you, you're shrine. forgetting that I don't play Nintendo stuff much. Like this is my yeah, first. Man, it's so different from other games. But There's it, nothing it, similar. Anyway, do the controls, <laughs> man. I'm telling you. I'm, it's okay. So, anyways, continue. Okay, so. I, I did those and I'm like okay I have like I've nine heart containers now so I figured that's enough to no, go that's start nothing. going okay. after the bosses that's and nice. uh, so I got to the first boss the guy in the, the what's the the one in the desert the elephant looking thing so you went after the camel first yes well, that's the hardest boss in the game is it okay yeah. so I. I I got through like the first two stages of him. Like I got the the first part, and then the part where he throws the right lightning rods. And that's also super easy. There's a trick to that, but I don't want to spoiler it. And then I got to the last point where, and I just ran out of weapons. Like I ran out of weapons and shields, so I had to actually leave that. And now I'm playing more of the game to get gear, level up my gear. Have you been like getting your Korok seeds at least, so you can hold a lot of stuff? I, I just started that. Have you yeah. talked to the guy? I, I talked to him, okay. yeah, and I got to the, whatever, the forest story. Okay. Just come find me in the forest. And... Korok? No, Kokori? What's it's the forest Hi- that's Hyrule in all the Zeldas? Hyrule The hidden forest. forest. The Lost Woods. Mm. Um, Hyrule Forest. Bam! Eating, uh... No, it's not. Uh, so, okay, you still enjoying it? Yeah, I like it. Yeah, it's man, it's a great it's... game. Uh, the other game you've been playing is... Prey. Okay, before we get to that, I have dabbled with a little bit of Persona still. I'm kind of putting it on the back burner. Whoa, I don't have wait, the time. Wait, 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 wait. Brian, what games are you playing? Uh, my name is Brank. Thank you very much. Um, I have dabbled with a little bit of Persona, but I kind of quit doing that. And I played a little bit more Mario Kart, which was fun. Um, but really what I've been playing is Prey. And how far are you in Prey? I am, I, I'm like an hour into it. Okay. And pray for those of you who haven't played, and this is something I think Donna would like those a lot. Those of you that haven't prayed, and those of you who haven't prayed yet, um, pray is pretty much the next Bioshock game. It is everything outside a studio. It is identical to a Bioshock. It's more Bioshock than like a Deus Ex. Do you think you, when people make Let's Plays of Pray, they call it Let's Pray? 
Bam! <laughs> um, so, in Prey, you walk around like a, a space PlayStation. Uh, space Station space and PlayStation. Uh, Space PlayStation. PlayStation 5. And uh, you're going to like... It's kind of like a Metroid-style game where you go and you can unlock stuff. And there's like abilities that you get by finding these things called Neuromods. And you set amount of Neuromods to upgrade your skill trees and do all this other stuff. Anyways, I am totally digging it. Not so much for the story, but more kind of like how Bioshock 1 had a semi-interesting story. But really, really cool environments and atmospheres to explore. Prey is a... A game that I just want to keep being in this space station. I keep wanting to play. The, the negative is they try to do resource scarcity, kind of like Bioshock One did. You run out of bullets really fast. But they have yeah. respawnable enemies. So unlike Bioshock One, it's really really tricky because once you kill everybody in a room, they may not all be dead next time you show up, and mm. you are going to be backtracking. So that is the only frustrating thing I found can in we, it so far. Can we talk about the mimics though? How it, oh, that's the coolest they, thing, they man. That is so They cool. can be anything. Like if you play this game with yeah, this out, you're going to crap yourself. This like. isn't a uh, spoiler at all, but because it happens within like the first 10 minutes, but one of the main main enemies that you find is kind of like did you guys both play Half-Life or Half-Life 2? Oh, uh, Half-Life 2. Okay. Do you remember the the beast called the head crab? It's like a little small, like weird chicken looking thing on four legs, like a uh, hairless or featherless chicken, and it jumps on your head and tries to attack you and kill you. Do you guys remember this enemy? Yeah. Okay, it's the main enemy that you find on the scientists. If there's a head crab on them, they're walking around like a zombie. Anyways, mimics are like that. However, they have the ability, like the name says, to mimic anything. So, like you're walking in a room, there's two cups of coffee there. Why are there two cups instead of one or whatever? One of them might be a mimic. Until three or four hours in, you have no way of knowing what's going to be a mimic and what's not. So you're just walking around hoping none of these things are actually monsters. And they're not they're not they're going to kill you instantly. But they move quick, they jump around, and then they can mimic into anything else that they want to. And there's, there's stuff later that you can do that will change if you can find them. Stuff that you can do that can give you abilities similar to them. There's so much to this game and so much depth and... It's so much cool stuff that it's like, I kind of want to keep playing it, but I'm also like, I don't want to miss something. So I've been just like doing these side objectives, which you can get a ton of too, but from the people on the the, the station. The Just the first hour too. Like I, it's, the story is intriguing to me because... because Did you, you get to see the video? The video of... I don't want to say much more than that. Okay. Did you get to go to his office? I went to his office. Did you see the video? Yes. Did you see the full video? No. Okay. Then that's that's. I don't want to say it, much more. It got that. shut off by the brother. Okay. Yeah. Well, but, we don't want to say much more than that. But okay. the game that's still really early on when you it, see the full. It video. creates a lot of intrigue like early on, so you you kind of when you get your spirit bow. You get your spirit bow in the second mission, or the probably the fourteenth mission, fourteenth level. Uh, spirit bow's late, right? In the original prey. No, you get it. Really, really yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, original Prey, the better of the Prey games. Now you have to unlock it is, the. Uh, it, I don't know. American. I think the original Prey is a. Awesome original game. Prey is great. You should play this one though. This one is literally they owned the name Prey. I know they, that's a big beef you have, but they owned the name Prey. They bought it stupidly. They bought the the can, rights to Prey. Can we expect some Easter eggs to the first game? I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm seven hours in. I haven't seen a single tie, and I, it would be crazy if they have a tie like these enemies aren't the same the i mean it would be cool it'd be really really funny but this is taking ah, 
this happens within the first 40 minutes, so I can reveal. This takes place in space, on a space station, and nowhere near Earth. It's like an alternate universe where JFK didn't get yeah. shot. Yeah, he didn't get shot, dying, and, and they yeah. put all this money towards space exploration. And so we bought why. this giant thing from the Russians. So there's, it's, oh man, it's a good game. Um, but yeah, I think with that, we should probably take a break, come back, talk about some crafting, E3, and any of the other cool stories. That sound good? Just crafting. I mean, Badoosh! Just, crafting. just craft it. If you're tired of sifting through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only five minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games. Okay, I'm sorry. Should we be back? Yeah, kick us off, man. And we are back. This is a phone game. We're all playing a game on our phones. It's called Friends with Phones. Yahtzee. And uh, we... It's not Yahtzee, you dumbass. <laughs> I just said it was Friends with Phones. It's a game we're well, we're clearly on. not playing the same game. Uh, well, anyways, I wanted to talk about... I play only Zombie Yahtzee. Zombie Yahtzee. <laughs> There's not enough zombie games. That's what I want to know. Yeah. The thing I wanted to talk about is crafting in games. Because we were talking about this. What did you want to talk about? Shut up. Oh my gosh. Shut up. I'm going to murder you. I want to talk about crafting in games. We were talking about Inquisition. Um, It's in Prey as well. Actually, I think Prey does it really well. But I want to get your guys' opinion on crafting games, what you like, what you don't like about it. The only game that I don't really mind crafting so much in is... uh... Well, actually, though, the only two games is Fallout and Elder Scrolls. I was just so, about to say that. Yes. The, and the reason is because... The reason is in Fallout... Well, I'll get to that in a sec. But in Skyrim, specifically, but I guess in all the Elder Scrolls games, because... But there's just... There's rarely... The problem with crafting in those games is that you there's never cool weapons that you find... You like, could say the same about Skyrim, though, to be honest, because the... That's what I'm saying. Oh. That's what I said, Skyrim and all that kind of stuff. Like, But I still feel like you could say, like, there's... Even when you craft it, you're not, like, crafting something super cool. You are well, grabbing, like, Dragon Bone stuff, which is cool. Yeah, no, it's but cool But you can't craft, powerful. like, unique, legendary stuff. But that's what stuff. I'm saying. But there's... It sucks because there's never anything cool. Like, there's never, like, an ancient sword to find. Which yeah. I guess is fine. I mean, that's all Zelda is, so... Yeah. Um, you know, there's plenty of games that have that kind of stuff. But yeah, like you'll randomly find swords through quest lines in in Elder Scrolls game. Rarely are they not even. It's not even. Can you just craft better swords than them? But they are rarely even remotely good. Yeah. Um, but that's a that's a systems for the game. That's a problem. Like crafting. The main thing I'm curious about is like. What do you guys not like? Because I noticed when we were talking about Inquisition, you guys both didn't like the crafting system in there. And I want to know, like, why don't you guys like crafting? And what's the different system? Because a good example would be, like, an upgrade uh, upgrade system in some games where it's like, you need X, Y, Z of these items is pretty much the same as crafting. Like, sure. in, So I'm just wondering, I don't mind it that much. I've been playing Prey. It's awesome in Prey. Um, okay, so what I was going to get to with Fallout. Okay, yeah, sorry. Is that I think crafting is great in Fallout because that's kind of like kind of part which, of the which spirit. Fallout, though, 
any. It's yeah, because four is kind of different, but I was just curious. Yeah, four seems a little more complicated than I yeah. want it to be. Yeah, but it's got some cool stuff. The weapon mods is definitely a cool thing. Um, but yeah, I there's mods, I think, in New Vegas. Um, really? You can like go to a table, make a mod, throw it on a gun? I think so. I'm trying to remember. I should know this because I've played that game a ton, but... Um, but anyway, uh, I think that just the notion of crafting is boring. I, so it's like, so I don't mind an upgrade tree. Yeah. Because that's like what RPGs are a lot of well, ways. Well, yeah. But, but I, I mean like an upgrade tree that requires you to have X amount of items. See, I don't, it's not the items. It's literally the sifting through tons of options. Like where it's like, like in Skyrim. Yeah. Like how early can you make an iron sword? But it's like, why would you ever want to make an iron sword? So yeah. it's just like, it just adds to like a giant list of like get to useless the point stuff. Too, like, yeah, where you just go and you can pick them up anywhere. Pretty well, much right, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. It's like, like the problem I have with crafting and things is it, does, it just feels like here's a giant list of stuff to sift through because it's not like, you know, it reminds me of, um, you know, it's like I don't want like a mini game attached to it. That's why I didn't like, that's the one thing I didn't like about Fantasy Life. Really? I loved playing those games, man. I loved Fantasy Life. I yeah. hated crafting because it was I like... I still thought it was kind of fun to hit A at the right time or whatever and do... <laughs> it, it is fun yeah. until you realize that you have to do it for like 10 hours. Yeah, no, I, I get you. It, yeah. it is definitely a grind. So it's like, I don't think that there's anything you can do to make crafting fun. That's why it's like, I would rather just find like find unique weapons and have them be good enough to yeah do because you're just like i don't i don't really mind having you know like if you if you had a weapon that you could upgrade yeah via like an upgrade tree that which requires you to collect items or whatever like same with armor that's cool but if you're like if i'm just collecting raw materials to like sort through a list of schematics or blueprints to like it's just like i just don't want to spend the time doing it i in I'm, I'm kind of on the same page. I don't like having to, if you want a, a, a certain set of armor, I don't like not being able to just buy it. Like, I would rather go out and fight a bunch of enemies to get money to buy the armor than mm. spend, because I, you know, we've talked about this before, games are too long. Like, I yeah. I want to get through this game as fast as possible. If it's, you know, I'll enjoy some of the side quests if I like it enough, yeah. but I don't want to, like, spend hours and hours going out across the map looking for these materials especially if they're ones that somebody only drops like once or twice so that is somewhere that i i would agree with you definitely crafting is not fun when it's like a rare drop that you need to make x item but i've recently played two games where crafting is done well with uh legend of zelda there isn't a place where you can upgrade your armor through finding materials in the game I generally enjoy that because you run around killing these guys. They drop. See, the you're items. saying upgrading, not crafting. But it's the same mechanics. You, need the you still need X craft, amount though. of materials. You can do this thing. I consider okay. them. They're all. But, it's the same system. But are you so item management wise? Are you? Is it you don't have armor and you have to build the armor? No. And when you craft, when you upgrade it each time, you have a new version. Like you have a, you have multiple. Now you have like ten. No. Iron armors. No, it's not. But the systems are. See, the same. that's what I'm saying. Yeah. To me, that's not crafting. This is upgrading. Like, but so I. Yeah, think I mean, I get. I get. No, it, it is. I know that it is. It is crafting. But yeah. Like what I meant is, it's like 
when it just comes down to like when it's just like all part of the boringness of inventory management where it's no, like that's, okay. and yeah. that's a problem that Bethesda does but this game I've been playing by Bethesda actually Prey the thing that I like that they do is they have one of the best things that every game should ever do when they have this is they have junk items mm-hmm. items that you pick up specifically to do stuff with craft games do this where you craft sell whatever I love it because you normally hold X I think even Inquisition does this and then when you go to a place to sell all junk or do all this yeah. Um, Prey does that, but you go to Recycler that recycles all these items into their raw material form, which is only like five things. Mm-hmm. It's only five different raw materials, and the game does all that sorting for you. You don't do anything. Just hold X, click Recycle, and then you get those. And when you go up to this machine, it says, hey, do you want to get like a thing that lets you get a skill point? Or do you want to get a weapon? Or do you want to get a weapon mod? Or do you want... And you find these plans to make these around the space station, and all you do is use those those little raw materials that you've been getting and I don't have to like run around or like fight stuff. Or so fight are stuff. you, are you building weapons from scratch? You can do and that or you can there's variation of how many. There's no variation. They're all the same weapon. If you want, you can build them. You don't have to. So yeah. So what, like, so let's say you find like Joe shotgun. They're all Joe shotguns. There's okay. no non, the only way to make Joe shotgun Better shotgun is to either make or find weapon upgrade kits. Okay, and that's but now now if I if I have Joe shotgun and yeah. I upgrade it, is there like am I locked into certain choices where mm-hmm. there's also five different ways I could upgrade it? No, if you can upgrade, you only have X amount of upgrade kits. You can make them if you decide to spend your raw materials on that. Mm-hmm. Raw materials is essentially the currency. That's what that's why I like my favorite way of cr- when crafting is done is when. You are essentially using currency. It's the same as buying and selling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no. So you you only have you can upgrade whatever you have the points for. Doesn't change anything besides makes the gun stronger. And then if you put skill points into weapon upgrading, you can keep upgrading any weapon more. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't actually make it so like oh I have shotgun that's good at fire, but it's bad at this. Like the game doesn't force you down paths where you have yeah. to choose plus or minus. You See, can make it. Where it's like I. I finally caved in Inquisition, and I I'm allow, I allow myself to do this at the end, where I have a couple different weapons depending on the fight I'm about to enter into. Okay. But I hate that. No, and I I understand that too. That's why I think Prey handles it really well. Yeah. They allow you to have your so I pretty much every extra shotgun I find because they put them all over the place later. So hey, you missed it earlier. Now you have another option to grab one. Every other shotgun you find, it's like well I can dismantle it for spare parts, which you can use to fix things. Or I can put in the recycler and then turn it into raw materials. My thing is like like you've mentioned earlier in Bioshock, like games where you have to have, uh, you know, you run ammo scarce in the game. Yeah. So you naturally, when you pick up items, you want to sell it so you can get more ammo. See, if you're going to have a complex crafting system, I don't want that to be part of it. Like if ammo, no uh, scarcity of ammo. But their crafting system actually makes it so you can make ammo too if you want. Yeah. No, I, I just think I, I'm playing a game that doesn't re- like I enjoy it every time I go yeah. I'm like oh hey I need 30 pistol bullets instead of the game forcing me to only have the bullets that it wants me to have as soon as I find the fabrication plan I go up to the machine I click pistol bullets I see if I have the right the right materials which is only like 5 of them and I click make yeah. and I get the bullets I feel like why don't more games just do it where it's just easy and keep fun it, keep it simple. and it's super simple and it's like there are too many games where it's like like Skyrim I felt the same way where it's like why am I even making this stuff? Like it, yeah, I get it was better, like I get the swords were better or whatever, 
But I, I kind of hated it because I do want, like you were talking about, like legendary weapons in those types of games. Yeah. Where a game like Prey, I just want to play the game and have fun. And hey, if I want to get skill points, I can choose to put my crafting to that. Yeah. Or if I want to do weapon, like, or if I want to get just bullets, I can do that too. Yeah. That's how that's how Inquisition is too, where it's like, I just don't make it. And I, I, yeah. I, I avoided crafting for the most part in that game. I remember reading some tips just like before I started. It was like, don't bother with crafting. It's pretty useless. Because yeah. it's, it's, it is like... I spent a lot of time there. I can't remember why. I felt like I kept having too many. You have a, a certain inventory space, don't you? There's and a storage chest in the crafting area. But I mean, you, keep. but on you, you can only keep X amount of inventory. You upgraded right? a few times, but yeah. But I mean, you're because I remember like running out of space pretty quick by the later half of the game. Like mm-hmm. I don't, I don't remember why, but I probably had too many weapons or whatever. I probably have a great sword. Can and, you? You can't stack items in that. Hmm? You, you can't. Know? Well, I don't think. There you can stack, I think, raw materials, right? In Inquisition, yeah, it's not each, okay. But you can't like stack weapons. Okay, no, yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Okay. And a lot of enemies drop weapons. You, right? The max inventory space in Inquisition is ninety. Okay, which so. fills up pretty quick because usually, yeah. like when I sell everything and then store all my unique weapons because I never, I rarely sell those unless I have duplicates. Uh, I just put them in like the game storage. Usually, I have like twenty spaces automatically filled, twenty to thirty. So. You basically have like an inventory of sixty. Yeah, I, I I think we should talk about more news soon. But the reason why I brought up crafting is because I've seen it done well recently, and I've seen it done very poorly um, in terms of like Fallout Four, where the crafting is fine, but inventory management became such a big thing that I literally decided to forego achievements so I could just have unlimited inventory space and mods. Yeah. So well, the thing is, just it's just like the choosing between and like needing. I don't know. It's just it's just more than I want out of the game. Yeah, you so just kind of like, enjoy the game. I don't. Yeah, know. so it's like okay, here's your mod that makes your like your spread higher. Like, I don't know if I've ever played a like shooter RPG where spread is really that important. So it's like yeah. I don't know. Uh, Doom seems to have an interesting upgrade system where you just upgrade your weapons. But you have to choose one or two. Yeah, it's... I think you can get both. You just have to find the points for them. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. I, I did like that. That was kind of fun. I think every level has maybe one or two of those. Hidden yeah, around. and it's fun to explore yeah. the map, so the, I've been doing that. The hard thing for me is I actually couldn't find like the second hidden space in the mm. first level, and it drove me crazy. I'm like, where is it? Because they have like, they can tell you you're missing this or this or this, so it's yeah. like, what am I missing? But yeah, it's it was just something I want to bring up, because it's after Minecraft, every game's been doing crafting. So, and that happened a little bit before, but really once Minecraft started, like, every game now has some type of crafting. Minecraft's fault? Minecraft, the least popular game on Earth, which is actually coming to Nintendo Switch today. Is it? Not going to buy it because it's 30 bucks and I don't want to play it again, but... How many different iterations of Minecraft can they possibly make, though? I mean, it's just the same game. game. It's just ported. This one's just 30 bucks because it's on Switch, so... People are willing to pay that. It's portable. I think it's... Honestly, if I love Minecraft, I would buy it today because the idea of Minecraft is, like, making fun, cool stuff. And with the friends online, like we did on, like, Xbox 360. That was really fun to play Minecraft together. Yeah, it's fun. You know, you're building stuff together. You're running around. You're just enjoying the world. But as a solo game, it is probably one of the more boring games I've ever played. Um, But, yeah, uh, you guys had some news to talk about, huh? You guys want one? You want to take it? Yeah, go for it, Donna. Something about um, uh, Bioware putting Mass Effect on the back burner. Yeah, well, it's funny because we've been talking about Dragon Age Inquisition so much today. Bioware's other main property, you know, and I, I mentioned this earlier. I just want to bring it up again. 
Bioware used to be the king of making only single games. They made Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic. They made Jade Empire. Before that, I know you're about to say they made uh, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. But they used to not do, like, sequels. They used to do just Knights of the Old Republic, Jade Empire. But there is a Knights of the Old Republic 2. I know Obsidian made it. But it's Obsidian. But that's what I'm saying, though. That was kind of like they used to just make their one-off games. And now we're in this And this then they alternate. would let Obsidian make the, the better sequel. So. <laughs> better sequel. Um, I've heard Metal Republic 2 is good. I've heard it doesn't have the budget, so it ends weird. But they, I supposedly they went and patched it on PC. I've so heard that it's got a super weird and awesome story. So yeah. That's, I, what, that's what Obsidian does better. Yeah. Is they just, they, like, they just need to get like better, better engineers to fix their game. It's not them. Stuff. It's because they're not a... Like, they're... It's, they're like a studio that I mean Bioware is the same way now. Yeah. But before Bioware was its own was Bioware. Now yeah. it's like EA. Yeah. And Bio and they own Bioware. So now they're dependent on someone else's money. Like that's what Obsidian is. It's like they it's not that they don't know how to because Pillars of Eternity I've played through and it's totally funded by themselves. And I had relatively few bugs. Okay. Not anything game breaking. I know there are, like, every game like that has game-breaking bugs. Because I, I, I heard the espionage Obsidian game had tons yeah, of well, bugs. Yeah, well, that's I'd the one that Sega forced yeah. out, right? Yeah. So I heard it's a great game, Is this too. the problem, like, we're seeing bad games because companies that own companies are forcing those companies to play? Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, but... That's, we, what happened yeah. With, uh, that's what happened with Dragon Age 2. It's also yeah. what happened with... Uh, Andromeda. Andromeda. And where it's like, I remember there's like, the... I don't know if this was, like, a rumor or whatever, but the rumor was that... EA forced Bioware to rush Dragon Age 2 if they wanted to spend more time on Mass Effect 2. That so, like, crazy. you can choose. So, and that's because that they don't care about quality, yeah. they care about money. So, it's like, um, and I think Dragon Age 2 is an insanely unique and awesome game. There are, the main problem is that it's just got so much recycled, like, like yeah. land, but... It doesn't feel like a AAA game. It definitely feels like, back in those days, like those B-tier games that used to come out. Like, yeah. Because I, I haven't played much of it. I know you beat it, but I just remember from the beginning, I'm like, Dragon Age Origins looked, like, as good as this, you know? And it, I remember the videos being like, whoa, this looks so cool and stuff. And I, But anyways, we were talking about, you mentioned the other game, though. They're putting on the back burner, Mass Effect Andromeda. A lot of that probably has to do with what we're talking about with uh, them, with EA, forcing it out the door. But what's, what's going on? Did, what did they say, exactly? They said that they're, well, so they're, they're scaling back their studio yeah. that made it. And they're not closing it. That's yeah, a good thing. No, they're transferring people yeah. to other projects. Um, and uh, they're not laying off people either, Which is as good. far as it's good. They so, said Montreal is just going to be a support studio now. Yeah. Right? Well, and, yeah. and apparently the the team that made Mass Effect wasn't like I knew. I know that the people that worked like they created Mass Effect are gone from Bioware. Yeah. Yeah. But doctors. I know that a lot of the team members are still there. But it was the other like their B team was yeah. made, made Andromeda, even though they have their A team. Why well, wouldn't be surprised that the A team was on Inquisition and whatever the next Dragon Age is? Because Inquisition, I, I haven't played Andromeda, but Inquisition was pretty good, polished, and it was like a good game when it came out. So yeah. I, I, I'm interested. I, I'm kind of bummed that they put Mass Effect Andromeda on the back burner, but. I didn't need to. I didn't even buy this one. Like I don't need to play it. Anytime Let me ask soon. you this: So, like, you're the only person who's beaten it. What do you think? I'm, you're the I'm, only person who's played it. Even. Yeah, no, and, it, and, and it's crazy to me how turned off I am by the game. Yeah, we loved so, Mass Effect. Yeah, I like. I have like a jacket with a Mass Effect patch on it. Yeah. Like I like. I'm a big Mass Effect fan. I've read the novels. Yeah. Like, 
When I got to the end of the game, I did not care about any of the characters. I didn't care about the ending. I it just getting through it. I was like, okay, well, I beat this game. Put it back on the shelf. And that's why it's it's been on sale so many times. It's on sale but, this week. But the like, problem is, is that even if the game, like, even if I had heard, I'm I'm I tend to be more forgiving in the narrative department if the aesthetic is there. Yeah. Um, and uh, even if like I had heard the same beats about the story like the same bits about the story being like kind of whatever and the characters not being that great and all that kind of stuff if the game was just 40 hours shorter yeah. and like or like 40% smaller or something okay with it. I would I would have yeah. bought it I probably would have finished it because I just don't want to freaking play that much, much. the funny big. thing is they did exactly what I was hoping that they would do where they allow these big traversable planets the only negative is they filled them with nothing and made it kind of pointless. Like, I was hoping it would be a game where you get to explore the planets and see, but I was hoping they were going to follow the new thought on narrative, which is like, hey, less side quests, make them all cooler, more see, important, and take you to places. On that note, though, even in the main quest, when you're on certain planets, you to get from one point to another, like you literally have to drive almost 10 minutes to go. But that's why some games, B. you can make that fun, though, still, if you fill that point a to point b with interesting stuff like yeah. oh there's a battle in the middle here where these people are getting attacked you know yeah i get it that costs money and resources See, and it time. Leaves, the, the important feeling of side quests in the old mass effect games is like yeah. so important you're yeah. like <laughs> and that like, was is why, this race gonna live <laughs> yeah and yeah. that's why focus was good for those games because we were on 360 we didn't have the you know the ability memory wise to make these giant plants that you could go i was hoping that they'd get the best of both worlds. I don't think you can do that. I you need to play The Witcher then. I that's the only thing I have to say is like, and I know everybody's hitting that drum, beating it all day is Witcher, Witcher, Witcher. But it is the the game that made me think like maybe this is actually possible because I've never seen it before. But it did it well. Where like I'm doing side quests that would normally be like, oh, go here, kill this, and I there was a real story that was cool. And I don't know why yeah, other games can't do it. Mass Effect and Andromeda side quests are incredibly unfulfilling. Unless you're doing like your loyalty missions where you, you know, you're... you're and even like the loyalty yeah, missions... Yeah, I've heard like, those aren't even the, great. The character, you're, you're not in... Because at least like with the first three Mass Effects, there are consequences of not doing them. Like there's always that small chance that someone on your crew was going to die. You didn't know who it was, but it just depended on you what... You mean the end of two? Yeah. I didn't play three with, enough. I don't know if that... With this that one, with this one, it... It doesn't matter if they hate you because you don't use them most of the time anyway. So it's not yeah. like there's no thing. But even at the end of the game, I still was holding out hope that, you know, with the next installment that they would turn it around. But yeah. I don't... Do you guys... I mean, you'll get another installment, I'm sure. Yeah, really far down the line. But do you guys think... So what What do you think this means for, like, the story DLC for Mass Effect and Drama? I know they were talking about it. Do you think that I don't that's think, ever going to... I mean, they may still do... They may do something like Trespass because they've been good at doing that for all of their games since 3... Well, no, since 2. Mm-hmm. Where they've been making added story stuff that goes down yeah. the road. But you know what? This game's having so many problems. They just released another big patch that made it... Because I guess you could... Romance two people in Mass Effect Andromeda. PB was one of their names, and and, and another two characters. PB and J. PB and J. Yeah, yeah. Um, J was the other character. Wait, Pam Beasley and Jim Halpert. So what? They changed it. <laughs> what? They changed it so you can't. Run. You cannot. No. So they patched that out. And they they just patched. A t- I mean, if you see their patch notes, like tons and tons and tons of stuff, and people are making videos like, what? "Hey, look at this and look at this." Wasn't like, there some kind of glitch in the first game where you could romance like multiple characters? Like, I don't think the first game had. There, there, in one of the games, there was like on YouTube. I watched a video and it shows you how to 
to make it so you can sleep with all the people. It's not a glitch. You can just do it. I think without having like you have to choose between people eventually. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't remember that stuff. I wasn't like I wasn't reading as much gaming news back at that time, so I don't remember reading about all the glitches. This one, the glitches that, and I'm not always concerned with those types of glitches. The glitches that I'm concerned with now are like. Hey, animation frame rates don't work properly. Quests don't load. Saves get corrupted. It's, things it's like funny this. though because we notice that stuff, but like your casual gamer doesn't really notice it. Like because we, I think most gamers, like if they played uh, Mass Effect Andromeda right when it released, would notice it because like it didn't, it wasn't smooth. It wasn't like a triple A. Yeah, game. it was it was choppy. But I mean, in most cases, like. If I were someone that just randomly picked up a game and started playing it, I probably wouldn't have wouldn't notice a lot of this technical stuff. Are those the people who buy Mass Effect though? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't know. I, I think that it's so funny, like how companies constantly will like sell out to corporations and like swear that it won't affect them. It's only going to be for the good. It's the same yeah. thing. It's that same thing that happens with beer where it's like yeah. everyone sells out to Budweiser and they say like, Oh, it's going to make us even better. And then, but it never does. Cause it's always about the money. And eventually, even if, even if things work out for a while, eventually it goes to shit. So I think that's what we're seeing happening here. I have hope for the next dragon age because Inquisition was great. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping, I'm hoping it's good. But, uh, I don't, I think we're, you know, I think what's going to happen is that the next Mass Effect game is going to be totally dictated by trends because their their entire seems like Bioware's entire identity is just now rolled up in whatever the corporate backing of EA wants them to do. Yeah. So since Mass Effect Andromeda wasn't like wasn't a success critically because yeah. everyone seems to not care for it that much. EA is going to the narrative the narrative is not great or the narrative is supposed to be not great. The gameplay is supposed to be janky. It's supposed to be too overbloated, too big. Yeah, probably. Was, it's like, more. oh, come check out how big this game is. And now everyone's like, it's too big. Like, yeah. So what's going to happen is that they're going to put Mass Effect on the back burner. And then maybe in like three years, they'll start a new Mass Effect game. And whatever trend is huge in games Bobby. then is yeah. what EA is going to say, okay, it has to be like this. So like right now, we're at peak Assassin's Creed. Here's your points of interest on your massive map. Yeah. Like, go jerk yourself off and hate yourself well, like yeah. but um like you know maybe if so if in in five years things are back down to like simplistic like shooters we're probably gonna get a really streamlined short mass effect yeah if uh if things if mobile goes gets back in trend again get a mobile <laughs> well people, we already there was one of those right i never played then maybe it, we'll get like a we'll get like a live game like a destiny type uh-huh. of thing like a like a that. progressive service type of game maybe if uh i don't know what what other trends are maybe if racing games become the main thing we'll get a mass effect racing game like that's <laughs> that's what i think that's what mass effect is going to be period now because because that's what that's what bioware is they're like they're just like in the pocket of EA, so they have to. They have to do. They they pretty much only have one more chance though to win fans back. If massive, if the next yeah. Mass Effect game is crap, then I mean it's gonna, actually it's no. Be a their long next time. Ch- their only chance left is uh, Dragon Age. Yeah, because I don't think I don't think anyone has faith that a new Mass Effect game is going to be good right now. Yeah, like like oh we messed up. Let's make a better one. They're gonna like I think people now are waiting for like okay. I hope, I hope Dragon Age doesn't suck yeah. now. And if it does, I think we're going to see Bioware shut down. <laughs> and, and Mass Effect, 
Andromeda was not great for several reasons. I mean, I get it. EA had their fiscal core they had to get the game, or fiscal year they had to get the game out, because they didn't want all their investors... But it's not, even, it's not even the bugs, it's the spirit yeah. of what the game is oh. versus what Mass Effect is. Definitely, and yeah. it, I think, though, a lot more people would have liked it, and the game would have been better if either they knew exactly what they It could have also been they just didn't know what they were doing. You yeah. know, they literally could have been like, let's make... A bunch of ideas, and then at the end we'll figure it out, which is what a lot of people do, and they just never figure it out at the end. Yeah. But um, I don't know if they have another chance, man, to be honest. Like, Mass Effect 3, as for as much like love as it got, it also got a lot of hate. And like mm-hmm. a lot of people were expecting this to be like the redemption for but Mass Effect. here's the thing about Mass Effect 3 is that Mass Effect 3 was a great game. The, the problems with Mass Effect 3 relate back to team again. It relates back to the fact that they changed directions in Mass Effect 2 because the guy that created Mass Effect was no longer a Bioware. My like, only beef with Mass Effect 3 was just the, you know, your normal beef about the ending. Like, I I, I like the game as a whole. I didn't... Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't play... The, the, I, I found that the best way to, to view Mass Effect 3 is that the entire game is an ending. Because you tie up all your character <laughs> yeah. stories. Like, like, that's the part of Mass Effect 3 that's awesome. The ending is whatever, but I didn't, I didn't mind the ending as much. I, I was expecting to hate it a lot more. But I think that... I think that Mass Effect just had an identity crisis with the original trilogy because the guy, I think his name is Drew, he created the universe and then left the company. So there's like all these like story ties and like foundation that they talk about in Mass Effect 1 and parts of Mass Effect 2 that never get fulfilled and change directions. So instead of like, it's like Mass Effect was like like Star Wars. It's like a campy universe filled with weird aliens. There is lots of lore there, but it's about the character story. It's about Shepard. It's about... The relationships, that's what Mass Effect was about. And then, you know, like, the metaphysics of the universe are kind of, like, on the back burner. And then it was, like, in the middle of Mass Effect 2, it's like the director of the game was like, what if we made it less like Star Wars and more like The Matrix? And then, like, Mass Effect 3 (laughs) has all this, like, oh, here's this, like, weird little boy thing. And the Reapers are, like, these weird, like, there's, like, it's like they injected elements into the game that... Clearly weren't planned all along, so it just feels whatever. But but the thing is, is that they still did a great job with the characters through those games. So the the best part of Mass Effect wasn't ruined. The lore was a little bit botched, probably. But yeah, I just I miss the days of like Bioware just making one-offs. Like I think Mass Effect Three should have ended Mass Effect. Period. If they wanted, if they wanted to make another space game, I guess they could use the Mass Effect name, but. There's so many other ideas. Now I feel like we're stuck with, and I mean, I love Dragon Age, but we have fantasy with Dragon Age, sci-fi with Mass Effect. There's not like, I know you guys may not have played it, because I don't, did you have an original Xbox? Yeah. I know, you got one at the very end, right? Mm-hmm. The, like, Jade Empire is the coolest RPG. I, I mean, I want to replay it and play it in years, but like, a game that's set in like, fantasy mythology China, where you're also like, fighting with gods, and it's like a really cool fighting game, was just like... Whoa, this is cool. Star Wars Knights of the Republic, a great game built on the Star Wars license. And then it's like, now we're just stuck where we have two choices. But see, that's how I feel about Prey. Whereas the original Prey was Native American science fiction. You have to call this That's a good point. Okay, but you need to take the name away. Hey, everyone. Venture into the pop culture cosmos today, where you'll hear our conversations on different topics within the world of movies, TV, video games, comic books, technology, board gaming, and more. You'll also get a taste of some of our other shows within the cosmos as well. So come on and join us each week as we delve into the pop culture cosmos. Welcome 
to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia while we're talking. Yeah, there we go. Uh, hey, isn't there supposed to be a Fire Emblem for Nintendo Switch coming out? Next year. Yeah. Next year, yeah. Uh, and they have a Fire Emblem Heroes, which is Dynasty Warriors with Fire Emblem characters coming out this year, but I don't yeah. really care. Yes. Um, um, I, I don't know why they're still doing the whole, like, hey, just release it, because I, I would love to play it. I don't... I played my 3DS recently, and it's not a bad console at all. It's amazing, or a bad handheld. The buttons are very small, and once you play the Switch and you play with slightly bigger buttons, they're not enormous... It's like, man, just release everything on both systems. Like, stop making me have to decide to buy games for a system that you're probably going to discontinue like you did with the Wii U in five or six months or a year or whatever. And yeah. keep telling people that Is, we're on a three-pillar strategy or whatever they told everybody. How long was the Wii U out for? Before Did, did they stop making it? Yeah, yeah, they stopped last year. Um, it, it was out from 2013 to – no, 2012 to 2000, late 2016, okay. four years. Um, it's almost the shortest console. I think the original Xbox is the shortest console. Or no, Dreamcast, shortest console in the market. But the, I just still don't get like the idea because like the, if you remember, do you guys remember before the Switch was when it was back to NX? They called it, the Nintendo had the three pillar strategy, which is that there would still be Wii U games being made. There would still be 3DS games being made. And then Switch would just be this, or NX at the time, would just be this third pillar to the company. Mm-hmm. And then now they're like, oh, no, 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 we never said that. The three pillars are phone, 3DS, and Switch. And I have a feeling that soon enough they're going to be like, nah, we'll just have Switch and phone. And it's like, oh, you just bought this game on 3DS? Well, I hope you enjoyed it because you can never play it again. It's your new Switch phone. <laughs> Switch phone. Uh, I, I it think, looks cool. I just think it's so upset. The three pillars are Joy-Con... Part one, the screen, and then the other joy. <laughs> well, I think what it is is that Nintendo is secretly owned by EA, and they oh, just had to rush out the uh, they rush out all their ideas. Yeah, they rush out Switch. You know, no, like it, the guy, the guy that runs EA probably like enjoys stealing presents from children at Christmas yeah. or something, and he's like. You know, I, I, I assume that he's like a he's got like a Jim Crockett from uh, Christmas Tale. Like a, the, what's the Dickens character? Oh, uh, a Jimmy Cricket? No, uh, or not Cricket? Uh, Screw! Are you talking about well, the, the, the Tiny Tim's dad? Oh, I don't remember it. Jim Crockett? I don't know. I don't but it, where you know, like some guy goes in, like, hey, like what? It, what? 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 What if we just like spent longer and made like. One, like we still made millions of dollars, but just like one million less. But we made it in a, a product that people love. I'd rather just take my million here. Like, yeah. <laughs> no, screw that. Like that, release that's it now. That's yeah. how I imagine the people who own Nintendo. They're, they they would probably have given the opportunity to go into someone's house on Christmas Eve, steal the presents, and sell them. Oh man! Actually, oh. the people that own Nintendo are a trip. The shareholders, because apparently they all hate video games. Yeah, which is why Nintendo has such a hard time. Like I remember when. They always release the shareholder meeting like transcripts yeah. when Iwata was the president of Nintendo or whatever, and he like people would ask him questions like, like, "Hi, I'm a shareholder, and I think video games are stupid. How are you going to make me money?" Like, <laughs> and like cool. that's like that's the thing. It's like it's like a bunch of old business tycoons in Japan that, had, well, that hate why, video games. Why own Nintendo? Then? Well, Nintendo like, used like, to be a game company, but they might have owned it because Nintendo won it in NES. Made so much money that they're probably just like, hey, it's you want to buy stocks, you want to buy stuff and things that are going to grow. They were a lot of people thought they were probably going to continue to grow, but they actually didn't sell. They kept like making less and less sales on consoles up to the Wii. Mm-hmm. That's when it like skyrocketed again. Then when it's like the NES original was tons, Super NES was less, N64 was less, 
GameCube was less. Again, I think GameCube was like 22 million. The most was Virtual Boy. Virtual Boy was the most <laughs> at 1 million sold. No, but anyways, tell us about Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia. Sorry, I'm just, I'm butthurt. I want to play it. I actually don't have much to say about it. I'm just planning on picking it up because the main thing that I didn't like with Fire Emblem was the last three games. Yeah, oh yeah, um, you mean the last game, but it's actually three parts. Because I don't want people to think you don't like Awakening, which oh, is Oh no, Awakening is incredible. Uh, no, I just, there was like, it's like... Here's three games that are the same game, and there's no benefit to playing all of them. They're just different, but they're not three separate games. They're tied together, but they're not. But like, you need to all buy. You need to buy three. You need to buy two games and a DLC. Yeah. And, or you could pay eighty bucks to get this special edition. We're to release, experience the whole which, thing you know, on one cartridge, but we're not going to sell it any other way. <laughs> but there's no like change of events. Like there's yeah. no like, oh, you did this in this game and this in this game, so now this is different. Like there's nothing like that. It's like pointless. Yeah. So like I was saying, if they would have just released more of those special edition cartridges my opinion of it might have changed because I would have spent 80 bucks one time got all the games and I would have thought okay whatever I have all the games but they released like 100 copies of those and then they were getting scalped for $300 a piece it's like Nintendo stupid they they, they make the same mistake over and over and over again it's like I think uh, what's that it's like the the definition of Insanity is when you keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, expecting a different result. Yeah, yeah. that is Nintendo. So Nintendo. Oh, let's uh, let's release special editions of our games. Only make like a hundred of them, so scalpers can make money. Oh, let's release the NES Classic, but only release like a couple million of them, so scalpers can let's make money. Not release a virtual yeah. console ever. It's it, why none of this stuff makes sense to people. Like it, I don't get like who at Nintendo's like, hmm, you know, we don't want people to give us money, so let's do this. Like, yeah. I I want to play Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia. I'm sure a lot of Switch owners want to too. I think a lot of us are like, why would I buy a game for a previous console when See, I already have this? The thing is, gamers, like, if they really want to play a game, they will find a way to play it. Like, if you Yeah, they'll to, emulate it. Emulators or use one of those, like, every Christmas how they have those, like, generic Super Nintendo or Sega consoles yeah. come out. They'll, they'll find a way to play it. And that's what Nintendo needs to realize is that if they don't make money off of it somebody else is going to well i think they realize that they just don't care like i don't think they can't i don't think nobody in their company ever went on ebay and saw oh the nes classic selling for 350 dollars. why don't we just make more of them because people obviously want it it's like nah i don't care Fire Emblem shadows of valentia let's release on our old system that we're going to keep supporting and they may keep supporting it but i just if it if they're supporting the next year then the Switch is in big trouble. Because that was their problem with the Wii U. Is they, they had some good games, but like the Switch is right now, the next big Nintendo game is Splatoon 2, which I don't even care for in June. And they have nothing really till Mario at the end of the year yeah. that I'm interested in. But uh, continue, sorry about it. Sorry, I went on a rant. I'm just disappointed. We do not rant on this podcast. This is a rant only is, rant about Brad Pitt. This is a... I love uh, him. Um, serene podcast. Peaceful. Yeah, I don't really know what to... I like... One of the things I'm interested in Fire Emblem Shadows of Valentia is it has, like, a traditional RPG movement where, like, you go through the world as a character walking around instead of just click on the map, go here, go here, yeah. go here. That's cool. I, I don't understand why they didn't do that for every Fire Emblem. I, I think that's always more fun to go around and then... I know it's harder to make the battles work, but... Sure. I think that's cool. Yeah, think... I'm really looking forward to... Uh... Just play something on my 3DS until... Yeah, man. 3DS was... And it is an awesome, like, handheld. Yeah. Like, I... 
Are you going to get the new Nintendo 2DS XL? I thought about it. It looks cool. I won't tempted to sell my 3DS XL and then buy them. Like I played my 3DS and the, the buttons were actually kind of giving me a cramp. So I, I haven't picked it up for a little bit. Never had that problem. Um, I have that problem on the Vita sometimes. Yeah, but, the Vita. It's because they did the stupid joysticks where they did it. But, but I don't want to say... I want to sort of not really say that because I love the Vita. Oh, I love the Vita too, but the joystick but, placement is annoying. Yeah. So it's mainly it's annoying when you have to push on it. Yeah, which is rare. But you have to push on joysticks. Like don't have do a click. It. No, joysticks don't have a click there. It's just you you hold it. The reason why it's annoying is because you're holding it like this. And there's well, you your problem because you're playing games yeah. like this. I play my games like this, and then I'm. Uh, Doesn't the Vita have? So I use my phone too. The Vita has a thing on the back, right? Where you can move your, it has the sensor. That's yeah, never, yeah, I've never felt. I've never played a game where that was used in any way effectively. Tear away. Tearaway is oh, an awesome yeah, game. Tearaway. Tearaway is the only game that like used the Vita. Kind of like how Super Mario Maker is like the only game that used the Wii U. It's totally. all Sanctuary uses the touchscreen. But like for like cool effect, because that, that was my favorite thing about Tearaway. It'd be like you tap the back and it would do like bouncing mechanics and you'd be bouncing around and then did you you played a little bit of it, right? Yeah. You'd like look up and there'd be a picture of like you in the, the sun and it was so stupid, yeah. but just so much fun. That was great. Um, but anyway, sorry. Back to uh, you're excited to play something on uh, 3DS. Yeah, I just want to I want to keep the hope alive that that Radiant Historia remake is going to come out for in, I the should. US, in the U.S. Isn't it supposed to come out in the U.S. in June or is that uh, Jap- Japan? I don't know. I think that's I here. So. If it is. I mean, I don't even need a Switch. That's the only game I'll play. <laughs> but you already played it. It's the exact same one you can already play it's on not, your it's DS. Like, it's new graphics and stuff. No. Yeah, it's remade. Let it's me it. see. I'm going to check this out right now because I'm almost positive, man, that it's the exact same. Like, Then I'll just have to play it again. It's uh, 3DS. I am almost positive. Let me see if it's a remake. I heard it was redrawn. Um, let me see. Continues to be a 3DS remake. Okay, here, I'll try to find a bigger picture of the graphics. This is the 3DS remake. Doesn't it look almost identical to you? Uh, and for viewers at home, we'll put up something. This is... You don't... Well, I don't I don't know, actually. I can't totally this is, tell. I'll, I could pull up a DS one, but this is also the... That's definitely different. This is? Well, just the picture, but this is normal. Yeah, I've heard, I've heard it's a graphic remake, but I don't know. What, I don't. Really and this know. is also the 3DS remake, and I remember this from the DS. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I don't really know how different it's going to be. But. They say it just doesn't change a whole lot, does it? Was what people were talking about. It says Radiant Historia. It's a great game, but I just it's it's literally the DS game. I don't know why they're putting it on the 3DS. To be honest, like I don't. So they're not actually upgrading it or anything. Uh, I mean, it looks like they did like one art, like one portrait of a character, slightly differently. But um, anyways, we should probably wrap this up. Kind of soon, we've been going for a little bit. Any other news stories you guys want to talk about? Um, no. But I mean, next time we will be talking about E3 a little bit. Yeah, we have literally still nothing to talk about yeah. it though. We'll try to figure something out. But well, I guess I mean, we could talk about predictions. Yeah. I don't know what we're gonna. I honestly am. There's been no leaks, nothing this year. Nintendo just announced that they're doing another uh, Nintendo Direct, which we knew about, but they announced the time. So I think, yeah, I bet Dragon Age will be announced. I think it seems so weird. I kind of agree with you because the timing seems right. It's been four, three years since the last one, but it seems weird because they just released Andromeda to be like, hey, uh, Dragon Age. But I mean, they have a different team. No, yeah, for sure. I just, it feels weird. You know, like Andromeda did really bad right out of the gate, Bioware. Hey, guess what? We're making another game. And it should actually almost be out. It sh- my guess is Dragon Age could be out as early as early next year. 
they probably could release it this year, which would be really, really weird. Yeah. But uh, I've seen something about it, though. What? If they're, if they're going to release it that No, the, they did no, the last Dragon Age Inquisition. I think, I think most people are, I think most, like, critically now, people are really heavy-handed towards long hype trains. Yeah, they don't mm. like that. Like, Red Dead Redemption 2 did the stupid thing by announcing this fall, and some people are like, it's probably going to get pushed back, and now nobody cares. Like, if you remember that game, that trailer came out the same day as the Nintendo Switch trailer, and no one talked about yeah, Red Dead Redemption yeah. 2. Like, and that, Red Dead Redemption was huge. Like, Grand Theft Auto Five is, I think, the highest selling game Well, ever also, um, Ubisoft's doing a, not a Far Cry, uh, Assassin's Creed, you mean the Egypt one? Just, the, or Just Cause, it's like, it's no, like. No, Ubisoft, that's Square Enix. Or a Far, yeah, it's Far Cry Origins, and it's supposed to be a Western. As, Assassin's Creed Origins, you're no, talking no, about yeah, Egypt? No, Assassin's Creed Origins, but they also, someone leaked, uh, Far Cry Yeah, like the next Far Cry is going to be a Western. I mean, I love Far Cry 4, but as long as it's got co-op, I'm interested. Far Cry or... Are you sure? They were talking about this on a podcast yesterday. Yeah, Far Uh, Cry 5 is probably set in Montana. Okay. Might be a spaghetti Western. Or is this Montana modern day? (laughs) You literally could probably get away with it. Just put it in some areas where there's no cars. Next Far Cry game to have a Wild West setting out in September, according to VG247. If it has co-op, I'm in. If it does what stupid Primal did and removes the best thing about 4... Primal still has some fun moments in it, though. They took out co-op. Like, hey, why would... Oh, let's add this awesome thing that's a lot of fun that you can play with your friends and make a game totally new, a brand new experience. Ah, let's just take it out. Nobody wants to play with their friends. Like, why would we keep the one cool thing we had to Far Cry 4? You know what I would love for the next, like, spin-off Far Cry, like, uh, Blood Dragon? Yeah. Is instead of, instead of, like, riffing on 80s movies, if they riffed on, like, teen vampire movies. <laughs> with, like, and they, they filled it with, with intentionally terrible acting, bad characters, great gameplay. Yeah. That, that would be fun. Far Cry is still probably, I'm trying to think, Ubisoft franchises. I think it's my favorite Ubisoft franchise. Um, I love Raymond Legends, but I don't really consider that franchise. They've said two, and I don't think that guy's working on those. But I think Far Cry is better than Assassin's Creed. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, they're... Because everything's better than Assassin's that's, Creed. They, had ghost, they kind of have Ghost Recons, but that's not something they really do very often. They do that. like They had the one this year, but the previous year was like five years ago or something like that. Yeah. So, I don't know. We should probably hit the road and uh, come talk to you guys again next week. All right. Peace. That's uh, to us people that can feel things, it, it, uh, it hurts.